Hey, this is Baccarat of Landreval. Hey there, this is Hot Toddy, a pouncing pony on Landreval. Hi, this is Defiler Dan of Cohesion on Vilia, and you're listening to Through the Palantir. And welcome to episode 24. It is Monday, the 20th of February, and I am Ivanius, and this is Through the Palantir, Lotro from a Different Perspective. Okay, before we get properly started with this entire thing, a quick little disclaimer. The intellectual properties discussed in this show are, are in no way, shape, or form, or in any deranged psychotic dream or imagining of any paranoid schizophrenic or any other paranoid person for that matter uh, in, in no way shape or form do I or any of my co-hosts guests etc even think or imagine or dream of laying claim to it it is the property of Warner Brothers and Turbine or the Salzance company or a combination thereof except for the part that's owned by the Kraft Food Group but that's another story entirely. But more importantly, we do not make any money off of this stuff. This is done purely for entertainment and edu... Oh, I can't lie anymore. This is just done for entertainment. There's there's nothing else to it. It is pure entertainment. Even if it does have the educational tags on there, they're just stuck on there for looks. It's entertainment and nothing else. I, I can't keep saying that there's something else to it. I, I do this to keep myself from being bored. Uh, what can I say? I have simple tastes. I mean, come on, who doesn't like to spend hours sitting in a room all by themselves talking and then listening to what they've talked about as they edit everything out and, and then putting it on the internet for other people to listen to and mock? I, come on! What do you what do you plan to do with your free time? Eat chocolate cake and ice cream or something? <laughs> Boring! Anyway, what have I done since the last time? Because it's been a while. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about why it's been a while a little bit later on the show, but it has been a while. So, let's see. Uh, first off, I have worked on my Guardian Dagnus quite a bit. Uh, I've done raid skirmishes, I've gotten into the instances multiple times, and I, another thing I've been doing with him is I've been going around talking to people, trying to get them on for some roundtables and stuff like that, for all that fun stuff. And... Uh, well, I, there's no keeping it secret, because the title already has something in there, most likely. I haven't picked out a title for the episode yet, that happens. But, the introduction music is our guest music, and you probably heard the sting already, so you know that we have a roundtable and guests today, so you get to hear people that aren't me talking, which is just awesome, fantastic. Life's just getting better all the time. But yeah, I, I've been working on putting those together a lot, and uh, so 
for one of the people I was talking to about doing roundtables and stuff uh, and other things. No, I, I was talking to him about the St. Patrick's Day raid. Uh, anyway, that was Roundbelly, who is a good friend of mine. Anyway, he, he wanted to fight me a couple times with his burglar. This is something we've done. <laughs> I don't know how long we do this. He comes out to the Etmores on his burglar and stuff, and he tries to kill me, at, and it's all in good fun. And usually I end up stomping him because... His burglar is not the most well-designed for PvMP. It's always a fun fight, but he usually can't beat me. He did kill me one time out of our three matches that when we went at it. Uh, but anyway, right after that, uh, he's like, Oh, well, I have space in my, my group. Uh, why don't you come do a raid skirmish with us? And they're like, Oh, this will be great. Yeah, wait a minute. Why are there only six of us? Oh, yeah, we, we, we're doing the raid skirmish with six people, which apparently is pretty common. But uh, as, as I mentioned last time, you know, my Guardian is uh, a little bit undergeared, and he's just shy of 8,000 morale. It's uh, very embarrassing every time I get on him because uh, I walk around the Etmores and Galdrev and everywhere else, and I see Guardians that are anywhere from 12,000 to like 18 morale, and I'm sitting there with 7.8. Yeah, not, not not feeling so good about myself and how well invested he is, but uh, we tried that. Uh, first off, he decided that we should try running uh, Attack at Dawn, where everyone else was strenuously complaining about that. And as we were sitting there, and all of a sudden, my, my banner guard, Kugnar, uh, he decided that it would be a really good idea to just randomly run inside the door and pull in all the stuff, like, like the icy grim of death plus another lieutenant and a whole bunch of other npcs that hit hard and like to cause death and stuff uh yeah that was all kinds of fun and the next thing i know everyone's yelling what's this stupid banner guard doing why is he pulling everything banner guard lived through half the fight by the way before he finally got himself killed yeah that was uh an experience that's for sure uh, he did kind of make up for it later he he would be standing off on the side just tanking away at one or two mobs like a boss, but but still, he hasn't done himself any favors with this. So, we got out of that instance, because it was not going very well, and we'd only finished off, like I think, one flag, and they were not happy with the choice to do attack at dawn. We decided that Roundbelly was just being masochistic or something. So, instead, we decided that we'd do Thanglehat. That would be easy. It'll be great. Thanglehat. We can totally do Thanglehat. That'll be no problem. So, we went to do Thanglehat. And it went all right. We did the encounters, we were killing all kinds of stuff, standing in the middle of fire as our enemies burned, but our fire was magically enchanted not to harm us by the devs who decided that putting friendly fire into the code would be a bad idea and way too much work at the same time, and therefore left it out. That's just my theory. Anyway, th that all went perfectly well, swimmingly, and then came the boss. And before we started the boss, we, it's like, oh yeah, he keeps turning up the buffs and everything. Some people have been hit for over one million. Wow, that'd be kind of cool to see, huh? Too bad that's not going to happen here. Oh, if only I had known. That boss fight lasted for forever. When I first got killed, I sat there for a while, because I figured we were all going to just die and reset the fight. But no, our plan of attack was keep on retreating and coming back in there until we can get him. And occasionally we would get him to hit the the catapult spots and the buffs would be taken off him again. And we did reset him one time just because the fight dragged on so long. But it was just a mess. I think the hardest hit I got, personally, was almost up to 3 million. Someone did take a hit for 3 million while we were trying to do that. 
it was all kinds of fun. It w it was craziness. Uh, I got to blow lots of cooldowns and feel all kinds of special as I would suddenly grab his aggro with a pledge and stand there and get rid of his buffs only to get killed anyway a bit later on and his buffs would tear up again. It was a fun experience. Unfortunately, I did not get to finish the entire thing because a after about 10 minutes into our second round after he'd reset, uh, I had to leave because we were going to go celebrate my mother's birthday party and eat at Chili's and stuff, and so I took off for that because it, that birthday only comes once a year, and yeah. There will be other raids and other times to play with Roundbelly and friends and laugh and have a good time, but real life comes first, as it should. So, that was that. Uh, then a, a few days later, I was on Dagnus again, doing some more raid skirmishing, and we were doing one of the Moria instances, uh, the ones that were from Book 5, uh, that I have not done on my Guardian since they become skirmishes. I finished them back when they were the battle instances, and didn't want to do them again. I did them on my Captain already. So, we were in there, and there was another Guardian there, and he was looking at the uh, gear I had and everything, and the, they'd said, uh, you should go overpower. So, I was... Like, okay, I'll go overpower. I've only got a one-handed weapon, but yeah, I can take away the shield, use the one-hander, turn on overpower. I've done that before. Uh, last time I think I did that was... Uh, let me think. I did that inside of... I'm forgetting the name. It's the instance inside of Arid Lewin, the, the rep instance... Uh, for the iron, for the blue miner, for the for the dwarves of the blue mountain reputation, it's the one with ancient dwarf. Its name will come to me in 20 minutes. But uh, that was the last time I was doing it. Uh, the first time that I was doing it, I was been back in my uh, mid 40s in southern Angmar that I was doing that, killing turtles. Yeah, we killed Iron Beak when we did that. Let me just say, while having a memory like this does come in handy, it is a curse as well. Uh, you cannot pick what gets stuck in permanent memory that you will remember forever and be able to recall with incredible clarity. And things that you want to be able to recall with perfect clarity for purposes such as passing tests and getting good grades and math classes and things will refuse to get stuck into your memory storage, whereas Incidents of people, you know, corpse jumping somebody else will be stuck in your head for forever and forever taint all memories of anything that they do from that point onward so you're never able to fully enjoy playing with or against them ever again. It is not as easy or as wonderful as it seems, let me just say that right now. Okay? Uh, anyway, he was looking at me, his name's Hearshot, and... He was looking at, at my gear and everything, and then he's, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, he said, Would you like a second age overpower weapon? And so we started talking, and he ended up making me an axe. I was going to get a hammer, but he, it was uh, just because I flipped a coin, and uh, that was what came up, and I already had an axe as my one-hander, but it, it was on cooldown and stuff, so we made the axe instead. So now Dagnus has axes. And for some reason, I still haven't traded the Dwarf Axe Damage Racial on him. I should 
get rid of the vitality bonus and put in the axe damage because it'll be more useful overall than having the vitality bonuses since I rarely pop that thing anyway on 75 vitality when guardians are stacking well over a thousand generally is you know whatever uh, <clears throat> plus I mean it's 10 minutes on an hour cooldown it goes away when you die wait really uh, uh besides that okay he gave me this wonderful little two-handed axe and I and actually, now that I think about it, this happened before the round belly raid, because I used that axe trying to kill the engineers during the boss fight. Wow, I'm back to through the Palantir levels of derailment and random. This is great. I'm finally back in, in full swing. I, I feel great about this. This is going to be a good episode, everybody, and not just because there's gifts. So anyway, he made me that, and we started talking and everything, and... And then uh, all of a sudden, I, I found out that he's actually somebody I know from Creepside. He's a spider there. I'm not going to tell you his name because, you know, I'm sure he doesn't want to be have anything like that. But uh, it was very nice to run into somebody who was very nice, friendly, helpful. And then, you know, they didn't even know who I was. I didn't know exactly who they were. But then he found out that there was we had another connection in another area of the game that we hadn't realized until then. But it didn't even matter if we were connected or not because he's just that friendly and that nice. So I just gotta say, uh, you know, props to Hearshot for that. Uh, the axe is coming along fine. I think it's almost hit legendary item level 20, uh, but I still haven't even applied any damage scroll to it because I haven't gone back to Moria to get my ancient dwarf damage. And more importantly, I've been busy playing my war leader. That's right, I skipped over Ivan. He is still stuck at level 64 after I finished off Epic Volume 2. I don't know when they lowered it so that you could actually finish the thing without hitting level 65 to do a couple of the skirmishes there. You had to do that back at the beginning of Mirkwood. I remember because I had to get level 65, I think, two skirmishes before the end of the book with Dagnus. And I had wanted to hit 65 as I finished the end of the book, so I was disappointed by that with him when I originally hit level 65. But no, I finished that off. I had it like halfway to 65 on level 64, but I just couldn't play him anymore. I had to get on Ugmog. So instead, I was playing Ugmog a ton, because I was getting closer and closer to rank 9, and I hit the 100,000 infamy mark, and then I, I could smell the blood in the water, and I, I was salivating as I could taste the infamy and savor the flavor of a new rank and a new color for my rank symbol. And it just drove me further to keep on pushing more time in and clawing away at that rank scale. And then I hit the 10,000 infamy left a night after that. And I just kept going in and getting closer and closer and closer. And then I was about 2,000 infamy away and I was just like, oh yeah, I'm going to get this in one night. One night, this will be it. And then I went out there and that night was entirely dead. So I did some one versus ones and... Well, they had the population buff, so things did not go well for me in those 1 versus 1s, let me just say that. Plus, there's stuff with mitigation still, which I will talk about in game news, so I'm not going to get into that right now. But the really fun thing that happened there was that I, I, before rank 9, I hit another goal that I'd had, uh, which I've had for a while now. But as I was coming back after trading up, I was just trying to tweak my build to actually be able to kill some of these guys with their population buff. And so I trade myself up for full-on soloing, got rid of some of my group utility traits, slotted in power regeneration, additional damage, all kinds of fun stuff like that, came back, and then as I was trying to pick who I was, who was, I was going to fight, uh, this giant red thing appears over my head, and I realize, oh look, a ranger's marked me. 
Hey, wait a minute, there's a ranger and no one else here. I get to solo the ranger! And so, for the next approximately 12 minutes, I fought the ranger as the ranger ran away from it, near the front of Grimsfoot, across half the map, down near the river outpost, across the river, through the woods of Hithlad, curving around to the crossroads, and eventually fleeing into the safety of the elf camp because he could not stop the crazy war leader who was determined to finally finish off his list of killing all of the Freep classes available, including the Ranger, in a solo one versus one. I did not get the kill, but considering that the Ranger ran from me multiple times and was fleeing in mortal terror of his session play life, I consider it a victory anyway. Although I'm still not satisfied and I'm still gonna have to go for a kill later on. But it was fun. And more importantly, I recorded the entire thing with Fraps, so there will be a video of it very soon, but first I'm going to have to finish off this episode, edit it, and put it up, and then go through some more materials and stuff, because I've got a lot of videos to get through. Because the next night, I hit rank 9, and so I've got a lot of rank 8 videos to get through and finish making and put up, so that I can transition smoothly over into my rank 9 videos. But I hit rank 9, and I got my last two heals, and I've played with them, and rank 9 is spectacular. It is fantastic. It tastes like cherries. It is a good place to be. Having actual emergency cooldowns that actually work and do stuff beyond just the Banner of Terror, it's a, it's a wonderful feeling. It's very satisfying. It completes me. Anywho, uh, aside, aside from that, I have taken my Reaver out for a couple spins, uh, especially since hitting rank 9. I've been, I've been working on tweaking him into a build that makes him a bit more durable in the current Edmore's environment, but I really haven't made a whole lot of progress towards that particular goal, so uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot to, to say about that, except that you know, I'm looking at doing some more work with the Reaver over the coming few weeks and so, as well as finally getting on to getting Ivan to level 75 and getting Dagnus to a respectable state. Uh, also, another thing that happened to me with, uh, well, as luck would have it, you know, perfect timing was trying to get roundtables set up. Uh, the day after I send out a bunch of PMs on the forums for people to respond back to regarding roundtables and uh, stuff about St. Patrick's Day, the day after that, literally, I get locked out of the forums and can't log in because something gets changed and the community site does not like my IP address, so I cannot log in from where I'm at just because of that one factor, and it won't accept it. I can get Mathrim to log on when I change the password and give it to him, which I've done a couple times to try to take care of things, but I can't get on them, and so that has made trying to coordinate with people just a, a whole extra level of frustration and and uh, another headache for me that I really did not need to uh, experience the full pleasure of. But anyway, outside of Lotro, I've also uh, ended up getting a little bit distracted by a little something called Marathon, which a company called Bungie made quite some time ago. You know, I've known that it was available for free, but I never got around to actually picking it up. And then I picked it up about a week and a half ago now, and, well, now I'm halfway through Marathon Infinity after having to restart that particular game because I got myself stuck. And it has been just a blast. Having played Mar Marathon, I mean, it's, it's pure fun, and I remember why I like Bungie so much. Uh, they 
make good games. They really do. There's nothing else to say about it. Well, except that it does detract from my Lotro playing schedule. But hey, such is life. Alright, well that's enough about me for now. So let us get on to some of the more meaty and weightier subjects. Shall we? Okay then. Game news. Welcome to the game news. We've got a little bit of a look at the past with the update that came out. Uh, plus a little bit of a look at the future with the update that is coming. So update 5.2 came out fairly recently. And let me just pop open the, the notes here. Now update 5.2 and 5.1 have mostly been uh, patches. Just a, a small little update to the game that's focused on fixing bugs and everything. Uh, however, with 5.2, uh, obviously the elephant in the room is the the other thing that was included that was not in the patch notes, which uh, with update 5.2, and I know this has been a, a huge change in gameplay for most people, but the splash screens when starting the game have been updated, and it, we now see the Warner Brothers logo when we start up Lord of the Rings Online, and uh, you know, so far feedback has been entirely positive. People really feel a lot more connected to Warner Brothers and the and the company and and to the game itself and so far that they say that it's it's causing all kinds of wonderful effects it's apparently the, the addition of the logo has improved the ability to get rare gear uh, people are finding that they're able to get even more seals and medallions than they were last week just because of the appearance of this the devs say that this really isn't doing anything. That they say they claim it's all placebo, but uh, the forums argue otherwise, and that is an ongoing debate that's going on. Uh, the main thing addressed in update 5.2 were lockboxes. Uh, the lockboxes have had the key drop rates boosted. They've dropped better items more often. A lot of the low tier items that they used to drop are supposedly gone. They drop more frequently, have a better chance of dropping more than one item, and they have a 10% chance to drop a lockbox key, supposedly. Um, creep side, that's not necessarily true. Uh, there really wasn't any adjustment to what they drop there, because there's really not a whole lot of options for what they're going to drop. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's the only way to get access to all these new skins that they put in with Update 5, and it's still just a royal painful grind. And for myself, uh, the skins that are available for the class that I play, which is the War Leader, uh, I don't like any of them, cosmetically, and so I have no motivation whatsoever to go after a lockbox. It's just, yeah, forget it. There's also a one small class change, which is the Burglar, which says Clever Retort and Confound will now function properly. So that's a beneficial tweak. Uh, then we get to the Monster Play. Monster Play, uh, once again, the continuing saga of the mitigations of mo of the monster players is addressed here, and that is all. All right, here's what we what happened with update 5.2. Alterations made to creep mitigation formulas have been reverted to their original state. All creep mitigations, ratings, and percentages have been returned to their original values. By original values, they mean rise of Isengard values. All right. Now I have to give Turbine uh, proper credit. Uh, this is exactly what happened. We went back to Rise of Isengard mitigations. So what they said they were going to do is what we did. The problem is, Rise of Isengard mitigations aren't cutting the mustard. And that was why they were adjusting mitigations in the first place with update 5, if I remember correctly. So 
we are better than we were after all the bugs that happened with Update 5's mitigations and then the 5.1 release, but the 5.2 still doesn't fix stuff. Uh, additionally, we've had even more things go on. Uh, the first day that 5.2 was out, I was getting blown up by a particular lore master, and I just could not figure out what was going wrong. It was driving me absolutely insane. And then I ended up taking a look at my statistics and mitigation levels, and at this point, I was running with full buffs to my armor that I could put on myself. I had the delving armor pot, so that's over a thousand armor rating, plus defensive aura, so that's another couple hundred armor rating. My mitigation level for fire was 34.6% at that point. The other tactical mitigations were all well over 40%. Fire was at 34.6%. That means that before I had the armor buff, the armor potion taken, and without defensive aura, I was probably somewhere around 26 or 27% mitigation. That's the mitigation level of a spider from Mirkwood, okay? That is not worthy to level mitigation. So the mitigations were still messed up in critical areas immediately after 5.2 went live. Uh, mitigations have been tweaked several times since then with no patch notes. I know just because I've been keeping track with my own mitigations personally and taking a couple screenshots to document this. But the big thing that's that I noticed is that fire mitigation is way lower than it should be compared to to other mitigations, uh, particularly with the War Leader, the fire mitigation tends to be, uh, depending on the day, it could, and what's going on, uh, sometimes I see it uh, about 3% lower than other mitigations, sometimes it's more like 6 to 8%, and it, it just seems to fluctuate without rhyme or reason, and I just <laughs> take screenshots to document this and prove to myself that I'm not going crazy, but that's what's going on. In addition to that, we've got the common mitigations went down, then they went up, then they've gone down a little bit since then. Uh, it's just oh, very odd, and it's just not where it needs to be. Uh, for most classes, it's a little bit better, but War Leaders, uh, we came through the first couple rounds of these mitigation changes fairly well off, but now we're the ones who are having the most issues with the mitigations, uh, I and mean, we're still better off than the other guys were when they were losing mitigation stuff, just because the amount that we're losing is not as big of a percentage of our total mitigations. So the percent we've lost is not as much a percent of our total percentage of mitigation. Couldn't resist saying that. But it's still ultimately crippling, because the uh, amount of damage that comes through because of mitigations not being where they really need to be is insurmountable. Uh, creep healing cannot keep pace with the amount of damage that comes through. Uh, if mitigations were higher, there would be the potential to keep pace, but they're not. And so, Freeps are able to just build themselves towards one tactic, which is stack up your main damage stat and unload all your damage possible, and they land incredibly huge criticals, as well as just incredibly large numbers without getting any critical hits and the rare dev crit and stuff, and it rips through everything like wet tissue paper. It really does, and it it makes the moors completely unbalanced. It's really as simple as that. So I mean, I mean Turbine did what they were what they said they were going to do, but the ultimate problem there that mitigations haven't scaled well enough is still a factor, and we still have sections that are bugged. So, 
yeah, they did what they said, but they haven't fixed the problems that are still plaguing Monster Play right now. So we will see if Update 6 proves to be a third times the charm because they've tried twice to fix it now. Alright, uh, other than that, there are minor changes to some of the UIs, a couple of the raids, some deeds, uh, some changes done to some crafting stuff, and some other various corrections, but nothing else really, really game-changing. Uh, I guess the map for the Pit of Irons is to a certain extent, but still, uh, nothing super hugely revolutionary as far as I'm concerned. So that covers Update 5.2. But then we have Update 6 coming, and there's been one developer diary released, and there have been a couple hints for uh, several other developer diaries and sneak peeks released as well. So we're going to cover those. All right, we're going to start off first with the actual developer diary. This is for Commendations, and is by Kelson, who is one of the Monster Player developers. So let's go ahead and go through this, and uh, we'll start off by reading some of the basic stuff. Okay, the summary is... Commendations, create a new universal PVMP currency to replace the role of Destiny in the Etmores. The new currency, Commendations, will be the primary driver of all PVMP rewards and advancement for both Freeps and Creeps. The role of Destiny will be changed to a strictly perk currency that will only be acquired through leveling. Goals are replace Destiny with, un with new universal PVMP currency, make PVMP combat the primary source of Commendations, reducing the need to PVE for PVMP advancement. Place a cap on commendations as part of a move to create a PVMP Seasons mechanic that encourages slash requires player investment with each content update. Short version is that throughout update 6 and 7, we'll, they will be modifying the economy of the Etmores by replacing Destiny with a new capped currency called commendations. Commendations will be primary currency for both reaps and creeps, requiring a recosting of all barter vendors and skill trainers in PVMP. Part of the change are redirecting the focus of PvMP play on PvMP combat, because the primary source of combinations will be getting kills. Questing and NPC kills will function as a secondary supplemental source of commendations. Alright. Initial reaction there is why. Okay? The Destiny Point system works just fine. No one is really complaining about it. Uh, it is a slight barrier to entry when you first start up. But a lot of the changes that have gone into Monster Play since before Rise of Isengard with the Monster Play going to free-to-play and stuff have really done a lot of work towards alleviating the barrier to entry that not having Destiny Points on, say, a new server was. You no longer need to buy a lot of your basic passive traits with Destiny Points, basic skills at rank 0 you get for free. Uh, there's really nothing to spend Destiny Points on when you first start out. So you don't need them, and you can quickly accrue the, the destiny points that you will need at your next rank, which is going to be for a skill or two and a couple of class traits, is really not that big of a, of a deal or a barrier to entry. So it was working perfectly fine, as was, and although there was some talk and such about uh, PVMP needing to be more PVMP focused and stuff, uh, the bigger issues in the room have to do with the balance and the fact that monster players... Uh, in particular, just don't have much incentive to actually play the, the, the PvMP system since they go out there and they're, they're fighting opponents that are inarguably stronger than they are. Anyone who wants to say that monster players are more powerful than their free counterparts is trying to make an indefensible argument. They are by no means stronger than their opponents right now. 
I, do, I don't think I even need to prove that, okay? It's just a fact of life. Anyone with their eyes open can see it. So, instead of working towards fixing some of these problems, instead of working towards fixing the mitigation issues that have cropped up over the and not been addressed properly over the past three updates, uh, we find out that the PVMP team has been working on replacing a system that works just fine as is and is not fundamentally broken or anything with a system that is going to be a headache to deal with, in all honesty. That's typical elf work! I mean, l let's look at their goals. Replace Destiny with new universal PVMP currency for both Freeps and Creeps. Okay, so you want to replace the Destiny. As I said before, why? I mean, the system works as it is. Make PVMP combat the primary source of commendations. Okay, that makes sense. Alright, so you want a currency for PVP that is based almost entirely on actually doing PvP. That works, okay. That makes sense. That There's been suggestions about stuff like this before. Okay, I can run with that. Alright. Then it says, place a cap on commendations to, to create a PvMP Seasons mechanic. Uh, so that in, it encourages, requires player investment with each content update. Okay, the idea of encouraging player participation with each content update, it's a good idea. But in all honesty, they already have that, because what happens is they release new content, people go and do that content, and then they come back to PvMP because they get tired of that content. and Or they finish getting their new gear, they've explored the their new content, they finished off the next part of the chain of the epic story, and then they come back to do PvP because that's where they get their content from. So it's really not a major issue where uh, PVMP is struggling to find players at all times throughout the year and everything because people are so busy doing all the other content and everything. That's really not the case. Uh, Morris goes through dead zones as major content releases come out and then it picks right back up again as people start to get geared up because they, they go out there and they get their gear, they experience new content, but they get their gear so they can come back in PVP if they're actually involved in that community. So this is basically um, providing incentive to do what they're already doing and not really bringing new people into Monster Play. I don't see anything about trying to draw more players in. So already out of their goals, one of them makes sense and two of them are far less than ideal. And the next thing that stands out is the role of Destiny will be changed to, to a strictly perk currency that will only be acquired through leveling. What do you mean only acquired through leveling? Does that mean that I only get destiny points when one of my characters gains a new level, or perhaps gets a new PvMP rank? Is that the only way that I'm going to get destiny points? Uh, if so, are you kidding me? I mean, really, what is the point of that? Have you seen some of the cost of destiny point perks? Uh, if you want to load up on some of the good perks, stuff like no armor wear from defeat while trying to learn a new instance stuff, that's an investment of 3,000 destiny points to get that particular buff right there. Uh, how much destiny do I get from a single level? Because level ups only really occur for an endgame character who's going to be the main character that's using these perks whenever there's a new expansion. And we don't, we never know how many levels we're getting with a given expansion until we're told. And it's never going to be more than 10. It's 5 or 10 so far. That's all the, that we've ever gotten. So how much Destiny can I expect to have when the next expansion rolls around? Okay, expansions come out typically one per year. So I'm going to have to 
take the destiny points I get from, say, let's say I play with only one character or two characters, and they're both at level cap. So I have to nurse the destiny points for both of these characters. Uh, Ryder's Rohan's going to go up to 85. So I get 10 levels worth of destiny points between two characters. So that's 20 level ups worth. And I have to use that between both those characters for an entire year until I get another level cap increase and I can go get some more. Or I have to roll up alts and level them to get destiny points. Is that seriously the system you're implementing? I mean, what about the guys who only do monster play? They have to wait until they get a new rank to get destiny points? Are you joking? Let me put it to you this way. I just got rank 9. To go from rank 8 to rank 9 was 112,500 infamy points. To go from rank 9 to 10 is 150,000 infamy points. I just hit rank, so I'm not going to get any destiny points for hitting rank when the whole thing comes out. I have to get 150,000 until Ugamog will get me more destiny points by getting a new rank. If I get destiny points for ranking up. Now let me put this in perspective for you. 150,000. To go from rank 0 to rank 8 is 158,000 destiny points. When you've got people who are serious about monster play and are getting into the high ranks, to go from the rank you're at to the next rank up could literally take a brand new character all the way up to one or two ranks below where the character already is. That's how steep the ranking curve is as you get higher and higher. To go from rank 14 to rank 15 is over 1 million infamy or glory points. That is how steep this curve is. So you're saying that a monster play character who throughout their must play career is going to want to be able to have access to things like, oh, I don't know, the plus d infamy points from, free pl from killing free players buff so that they can improve their ranking pace. They're only going to get the destiny points needed to actually buy said buff 15 times with such an incredible investment of time. I mean, really. Only leveling. That's what only leveling means to me when I see that. So they're going to cut out everything from quests. You're not going to get destiny points for killing NPCs anymore. The only thing you get it from is leveling. I mean, if that is seriously what has happened here because of this commendation system, that's basically one of the cheesiest moves I've ever seen a company pull. Basically what this means is that this whole commendations thing it has two actual purposes. There's the stated purpose of doing the whole PvMP revamp, and then there's a second hidden purpose, which is make it so that destiny points are almost impossible to, to obtain at a reliable or steady rate so that your VIP players cannot spend their destiny points to get perks, but instead have to spend their 500 turbine points a month in the store if they want those perks. And then when they run out of those turbine points, they have to give you turbine money so they can keep buying perks in order to boost their character a little bit. I have a big, big problem with that, especially considering the scope of the changes this means to the game system, okay? Let's keep going here. The cap for commendations is going to be at 10,000 points. Quests will reward 20 to 100 commendations per quest. Defeating an opposing player will provide roughly 50 commendations. 
for launch, commendations awarded by defeating other players will use existing contribution system, which means all players in the group receive full commendation value of the target, assuming they are within range. Current diminishing return system will remain in place for commendations. Uh, post update 6, so that's when it launches, okay? Uh, commendations earned through player defeat. Uh, here are the examples. It's like, if there's a single contributor, the player, so one person does all the damage and gets a kill, they'll receive 200 commendations. If there's two people, so they split the damage between them, they do 100. If there are six plus, each one receives 30 commendations. And diminishing returns are applied each time a player is defeated within 60 seconds of retreating. So each defeat within 60 seconds of retreating reduces the commendation value by 20% with a maximum reduction of 90%. So you always get something, but if you're killing this person over and over and over, like right outside a red circle or something, it's going to hit the point where they're giving you almost nothing as far as commendations go. Of course, that diminishing returns does nothing to the amount of infamy or glory they give you, and that's the real thing that people are grinding out there, especially since commendations are capped at 10,000. So now we get to the, the more important thing, spending commendations. So the first thing he gives us is examples of free people's armor. So the PvP armor set, this is what it would cost. It would cost 7,500 commendations out of your 10,000 total that you can have at any one time for either the headpiece or the chest piece. So, and then there's a depreciated version for uh, if you have one an older set, uh, you can... Uh, you can get a depreciated cost by doing a turn-in. That's 5,500. And then there's a second depreciated for having another armor set, which is 3,500. Uh, so there's two depreciated values. We're not going to focus on those, okay? For shoulders or legs, 6,000 out of your 10,000. Boots, gloves, and cloak, 4,000. So let's say a new set of armor rolls out for all the classes in a given update. And, there, and of course, there will be some people who are sitting around with 10,000 commendations. They can buy two pieces of that armor off the bat, and that's it. Then they have to regrind the entire thing. Then they buy the next two pieces of armor. They're at four of six now. So then they regrind the entire set. All right. Now they will spend 7,500 on the headpiece or the chest. They're now at five pieces of the armor. They get another 500 commendations. Buy the last one that costs 4,000. Now they have to go back up to 7,500 to buy the last piece of armor that they're missing. That means that they've had to grind up 10,000 points, a total of 10,000 twice. Then they had to pick up an extra 8,000 after that to finish off the entire thing. And they have to spend it and then regrind up from zero. You can't just build towards it and, and be ready for the next release or anything. It forces you to <laughs> go out there and do the grinding when they release their content for the zone instead of the zone existing as a place where people go to actually play the game and, and find alternative modes of entertainment after the regular content has been released and they're finished with that. I don't really like that. Then we look at some of the jewelry costs, uh, 4,000 or 6,000 points, uh, without looking at depreciated costs. And then consumables, 500 commendations for consumables. So consumables are traits, brands, uh, delving barter items, so you won't use delving rocks now after this. You'll just spend 500 of your possible 10,000 commendations for uh, apparently a single stack. So some of these costs do translate over towards 
monster play as well, specifically the consumables one. So this means that a monster player, if they want to enjoy the benefits of the infamy rank 9 health potions, which are the only health potions out there that heal a comparable amount of morale as a freep morale potion, which can be made by a scholar, or bartered, or picked up off an NPC. They have to spend 500 commendations to buy a stack, which who knows how many are in their stack. Is that a full stack of 50? Is it a stack of 5 like you would get it when you barter with Delving Rocks? It doesn't say. So you're spending anywhere between 500 for 50 or 5,000 for 50. If you spend 5,000 points for 50 health potions, okay, not only is that half of your total commendation cap, but how many players did you have to kill for that? It says that initially it's going to start off with each player being worth 50 commendations. You have to kill 10 players by yourself with no one else contributing to get enough points to buy a full stack of potions. How many potions do you think you're going to use up trying to kill 10 players? The system, just based off this very minimal amount of information and everything, is very cumbersome and flawed. It's not an improvement in the quality of life. It pretty much every single way that I look at it, it it's just a hassle. It replaces a system that wasn't broken. It gives us something that w that people wanted, which was an emphasis on PvMP, but it d goes about it in a completely wrong way. It just it is not a well thought out and well put together system. I'm I'm sorry, but that's what I see based off what's what is here. Now, obviously, most of the information we have right now is stuff that's planned for the release of update 6 with plenty of caveats about uh, we're going to be continue updating this and tweaking and tweaking numbers and things but i have to say i'm still very very disappointed with this and my disappointment and frustration with this entire commendation system that's coming is only magnified by the fact that this is what the player versus monster player developers have been doing instead of fixing bugs with the monster play system that have been plaguing us for months now. Update 5 came, and mitigations got broken, and they're still not fixed. It is now f the end of February. When can we expect you to stop fixing what isn't broken and fix something that is broken? Could you please tell us? Seriously, that is all I get out of this, is you've been wasting your time and your players' time Building a system that hasn't been asked for, not not in this form at, at any rate, and neglecting things that have been asked for that are directly and very negatively affecting the parity between both factions and the, the balance of power within the Etmores and people's ability to even play the game while actually standing a fighting chance in a competitive environment, and you're doing this. Really? Come on! <sighs> Alright, but I mean, even digging further into it, there's still other things that are just you know, not well thought out, that aren't implemented very well. Uh, for instance, rank requirements for free people's armor are being dropped. So, free peoples, who are totally new to the Atmores, can come out there, and as I said, they're going to have to fill up their, their cap of commendations in order to buy all the, ar all the armor pieces, but they can do that while they start at rank zero, and they can have all their armor probably by the time they're rank 4 or 5, depending on how much killing they do. I mean, that is 
well within the realm of possibility. I, we will see people do this afterwards, because uh, let's be honest here, okay? The players that want to do be doing PvP of some sort, uh, are they going to spend their time upon reaching level cap, going and doing a whole bunch of instances to get armor to be able to then go and play and do PvP, or are they going to try to get a semi-decent armor set? and then start going into player versus monster player and working on actually PvPing, you know, joining raids and groups and stuff so that they have a, a cushion to make up for their lack in gear and stats and such while they actually are able to start picking up armor and directly improving their character within the first couple of ranks with a fairly short amount of time invested uh, and very big rewards out of that. And because they get an entire armor set, uh, depending on how rigorously they go out, they go into the monster play system uh, within a couple of weeks to a month of starting it. Whereas the monster play side has nothing comparable to that. It's in terms of what they're going to be able to get with commendations. Instead, they still have to rank up, and then when they hit their rank, they're probably already sitting at a full 10,000. But in all likelihood, they'll only be able to, be, to buy part of their new skill sets, skills and traits with the commendations they have available in the cap, and then they have to grind more, and it wastes their time after they've spent a long time working to earn this rank so that they can finally buy new skills and improve their character, but they can't do it as soon as they get there anymore. That's typical elf work! Under the current system, even by the time a player is getting towards rank 4, when they hit rank 4 and upwards, they have enough destiny points that they can immediately go to the trainer and buy everything that has become available to them. They can upgrade their character as soon as they get that rank and have acquired all the infamy. They've earned their reward, and then they go spend their destiny points, and they have the reward. This just puts an extra stranglehold choke onto a monster player's ability to actually become more effective and more powerful by forcing them to not only go through the rank grind, which, as I've already mentioned, is very steep, as especially getting up to later ranks, but then it also forces them to finish off their rank grind and then spend some points to get part of what they've earned before grinding again to finish buying all the stuff that they finally have access to. That's just stupid. There's nothing else to say about it. It's just stupid. So I have a big problem with the commendation system, and I am absolutely not a fan. Fortunately, commendations are not the only things that are going to be coming with Update 6, particularly towards Monster Play. Kelson has also dropped us some previews of some of the class changes that are going to be coming with Update 6. And so we're going to start off with the Weavers. Now, this is a preview of what's coming with the Weaver. There will be a full dev diary later that's going to contain more information. So these will be revisited later on when the dev diaries are released. But we're going to talk about what we've got right now because this is actually some pretty exciting stuff. Kelson talking about Weavers. Here we go. As player potency has increased, it has become increasingly difficult for a finesse control class like the Weaver to maintain its place on the battlefield. With this revision, we're not looking to change the way the Weaver plays, but to build upon the existing mechanics. This general concept was to make the Weaver a late-game threat by weakening her opponent while bolstering her own abilities. So, goals. Provide the Weaver with increased survivability and burst DPS while maintaining the core of the class. And create synergistic skill rotations that allow for a variety of playstyles. Okay, 
those are fantastic goals. And let me just state right off the bat here that Weavers are a class that got fundamentally broken shortly before Isengard launched uh, when Monster Play went free-to-play and they became a pet class. Uh, the Weavers were never originally a pet class. They used to be uh, a self-contained class and then one of their abilities would be able to spawn three spider pets. They were not controlled. They, they were basically just NPCs that followed the spider around and attacked and went nuts and were crazy and did all kinds of damage and they were a great thing for the Weavers to have. Those got replaced with the single pet. The pets have been broken and buggy, uh, just like most Voltro pets have been, uh, since that time. Uh, one of the pet versions, the Sciotide Boot, which is supposed to be a ranged pet version, still does not work properly. It's completely broken. The damage output of the Strong Brood, which is supposed to be a, a tough melee pet, uh, is still so lackluster that it's painful to actually watch these things in action. And to make matters worse, a Strong Brood pet will contribute almost 20% of the total damage output of a Weaver in these particular times. So not only does this pet have an incredibly lackluster damage output, but the Weaver itself has a horrible damage output. And on top of that, they are still a very squishy class. Compounded with that are all these mitigation issues that we've been having over the past few updates. Weavers have always been at the bottom of the totem pole as far as mitigations go, uh, sharing that slot with wargs. They have been suffering under these mitigation bugs. Uh, weavers have been getting one-shotted by all kinds of things. And it, it's not enough that they have some of the lowest mitigations. They also have the smallest health pools out of the monster play classes. So you combine the small health pool for a monster play class with the lowest mitigations topped with mitigation bugs that have lowered actual mitigations and then just for extra fun has very lackluster damage output and you have a class that has been fundamentally broken for a long time and almost impossible to play and truly enjoy in its current state because it dies and does nothing notable as far as damage goes and debuffs and such are curable and, and can't even get those off before it's dead. So where's the fun in playing a class that just goes out there, instantly explodes, and can't measure itself against the other classes having done something worthwhile because it's got healing classes that are out damaging it. So the Weaver is honestly the class that has been most in need of a serious revision and some major polishing up. So it's fantastic that Kelson is actually, is actually going after the Weavers with this. I have to say, when Kelson did his monster play revisions for Rise of Isengard, the changes he actually made to the classes were very good. The new things he gave to monster players are fantastic. He has done a good job of breathing new life into a lot of classes with his revisions. The thing is that while he's good at doing these revisions, he hasn't shown the same level of care and attention to detail with some of the other sections. Uh, most notably would be some of the core statistics of, of the various classes and abilities and stuff. If you take a look at resistance rates and avoidance rates and stuff, uh, our resistances and avoidances are still at Mirkwood levels and have not been increased to reflect the fact that uh, avoidances now cap at 25% instead of 15%. When Rise of Isengard first launched, regeneration rates were absolutely horrendous. It took 
several minutes to regenerate out of combat after you'd been in combat for a while. And also the uh, damage rates were not increased significantly enough. Uh, within a couple of weeks of Isengard launching, we had to get a patch that increased the damage by 20 to 30%. So while Kelson does a very good job with his revisions, he often overlooks the basic stat increases and stuff that improves the quality of life for all the classes across the board. And that's somewhere that definitely needs a lot of improvement with the current monster play development team because what we have is a problem of monster players who have not had their core statistics majorly changed with Rise of Isengard uh, even with the regeneration and damage change that came shortly afterwards going up against free peoples who have had their statistics uncapped and are stacking phenomenal levels in their primary statistic over 1,000 closing on 2,000 in some cases, and the disparity, very, very obvious. And that's really what a lot of the imbalance in the Entmores in this current incarnation of Rise of Isengard comes down to, is the fact that free peoples have had their core statistics massively increased and boosted by the uncapping of stats and the availability of armor and jewelry and other things that, that give large bonuses to statistics whereas monster players are still hobbling along with avoidances and resistances that are from Mirkwood and haven't been increased at all. And until issues like this start getting sorted, we're still going to be running into a lot of problems. Okay, uh, now that that diversion's over, uh, let's get on with what he's talking about with the Weavers. Okay? Okay. Alright, first up, Venom Pips. Weavers will now generate a new pip type called Venom whenever they use poison skills. Uh, most Weaver skills are poison skills, so that's going to be, uh, I don't know, there's probably uh, f six, seven skills that are not poison skills for a Weaver. Uh, two of them are Burrows, and the, there's Lay Web and a couple others. So most of the time when a Weaver hits a button, they're going to be building up a pip or two. <clears throat> okay. Each Venom pip increases the resistance penetration of their skills and the damage of their poison skills. This is a fantastic change. First off, it's going to give the Weavers a sorely needed damage boost because, as I said before, uh, their damage is incredibly lackluster. Being able to boost up their damage with these pips is going to make a phenomenal difference for them. Uh, the resistance penetration part I, I'm also a big fan of because even before Isengard and the beginning of Finesse, what we ran into was multiple classes creep side that had the ability to stack up resistance penetration stuff, most notably the Runekeeper, mostly through uncurable debuffs or self-buffs, particularly in the Runekeeper's case. And monster players didn't have anything like that. Uh, even with Finesse, that's entirely gated by Battlefield Promotions, which are a reflection of your rank. But now we've got a class that's going to have the same kind of advantage that th that has given to Runekeepers for some time on the monster play side. So it's bringing a lot of the same tools that have been there over to the other side, which is always a great boost towards balance and parity between the two factions. And also it's going to be a lot of fun to watch Weavers tear through their opponent's resistances while doing a lot of damage and making them look like Swiss cheese once they get full pips built up. Alright, the total number of pips is 5, and they decay at a rate of 1 pip per second out of combat. So when a weaver drops combat, these are going to get sapped very fast. Alright, 
Now the Venom pips fuel two new situational skills designed to provide the Reaver with solid burst and sustainability. Now, this is a huge change for them because I've already gone over the survivability issues that they have. Improving survivability is a boon for everyone who involved with spiders. The first ability is Drink Deep, which is a strong melee skill that replenishes a portion of the Weaver's health. Now I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of Weavers who feel that it should be a ranged skill. Uh, the thing is that I have to say, thematically, it does make sense for it to be a melee skill, and at the same time, if it were a ranged skill, that would mean that a Weaver is able to kite a melee class and heal themselves while kiting, while doing, doing a lot of damage at the same time, and... Well, I mean, do you really want to be a minstrel? I mean, come on. The second ability, which is the burst one, is Virulent Poison. It is a ranged attack that applies a strong poison damage over time. Should the damage over time be cured, the target takes instant poison damage. Uh, I assume that the poison damage will not be as powerful as the damage over time would be, but that's a, a fantastic bonus in there that even if you cure the effect, they're still going to get nailed with a big burst right there because they can't do anything and even better if the dot lands on them and they don't cure it until close to the end of its duration then that means that the they did as much damage to themselves as possible because the dot had time to tick and do a, a, a whole lot of damage that way and then they cured it and hit themselves with all of the instant damage as well so that'll be very interesting to see how that particular situation plays out and what comes of it. And then there is a web skill update, uh, which is ensnared, which is a stacking effect applied by most Weaver web skills. Uh, web skills are, uh, there's a root that's a web skill, and then they're mostly just debuffs after that. Uh, entangling webs, which slows down attack speed. The web, the earth skill, which when opposing players run through it, will put the heavy webbing debuff on them, which lowers movement speed to 50%, uh, stuff like that. Now, it stacks itself up, and Snared places no negative impact on the target itself, but it can be converted into Venom Pips via a new skill, which is in Venom, which consumes all of the caster's ensnared effect, with the potency being determined by the number of stacks on the target. So if there is one stack, it does weak damage and generates two Venom Pips. If there are three stacks, it does moderate damage and generates four Venom Pips. If there are three stacks, it will do heavy damage and generate five Venom Pips. So that means that this ensnared debuff, coupled with the Envenom ability, will allow a Weaver to perform virulent poison or drink deep to either regain health or deal a whole lot of damage, fire off Envenom, burst some more, and then have a whole bunch of pips available to, to fire off their pip-based attacks uh, once again, or to just continue d doing damage with a bonus from all five pips up so that they can do their regular skills with improved damage and improved resistance penetration. So it gives Weavers a lot of tactical flexibility right there, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, that is all that has been revealed for now, but I have to say that just looking at this, this is very, very promising for, for Weavers. They Weaver has been really struggling in the Etmores lately to find a place just because of their very low survivability and low damage output. and. It's been a hard time to be a spider, in all honesty. But this is going to be a, a huge boost to them, and should really turn the class around from being at the very bottom of the totem pole right now into being one of the most powerful ones out there and, and a formidable force in its own right. 
once again, we still have to wait to, for the full dev diary to see what other changes and goodies they're going to be getting. But here's hoping that some of their bugs, particularly relating to Syotide Brood and the pets in general, are going to be fixed and improved, and that the Weaver's going to be an incredibly potent force in the Etmores. Alright, now the second class that we've gotten a preview for is the Warg. Now, Wargs have been in a, in a fairly solid place for some time now, but that doesn't mean that there's not room for improvements, even though it's arguable that other classes could use it a bit more. But, hey, it is what it is. This particular Dev Diary preview is from Orion, so let's go ahead and dive right into it. Alright, first up, he says, You need to know that, that these changes are a collaboration of myself and another designer, Jinja. You have yet to meet him, but will soon since he is handling the complete Dev Diary on the Warg. Go easy, he's new to all of you, and you, and you can be a little rabid from time to time. The second thing that you need to know is that it, this is still in flux and could change considerably before release. I have to disagree with Orion. The Monster Play community is not a little rabid from time to time. The Monster Play community is stark raving mad 60% of the time, at least, okay? Be honest. But at the same time, new PvMP designer that we know of. You know, as I said before, Kelson, he's got his strengths and his weaknesses. Uh, here's to hoping that Jinja is going to be able to uh, provide a lot more developing power for the Monster Play team and also work on some of the areas that haven't been addressed uh, by Kelson uh, or other people so far and hopefully get some of the, the quality of life standard statistics across the classes boosted and stuff. I, let's see some improvements in basic statistics and in uh, basic traits and stuff. Uh, a lot of the traits, class traits and racial traits, have not seen any major changes or improvements since they were released in Shadows of Angmar. For instance, regeneration traits and regeneration stats on flags and things like that have not changed at all since the game launched, and they could certainly use a boost if, if some of the developers would be willing to take a look into that kind of stuff. We'll see how that pans out. But still, it's going to be interesting to, to see, and who knows, maybe I'll have better luck trying to get Jinja on for a podcast interview than I have with Kelson. Cross your fingers on that, but don't hold your breath. So, the goals for the Warg. Improve upon and highlight the strengths of the Stealth Warg. Provide Wargs with a secondary method of playing the class that gives them more survivability, though a little less damage. Highlight that Wargs are pack hunters. Okay, fair enough. Stances. They are taking the warg and giving them two stances, Shadow and Flare. These are to accentuate the different ways of playing the warg while keeping the flavor wholly intact. The general information of the stances is that there will be no stance dancing. This is going to be a hardline call on this one. If you switch out of one stance, you will be delayed from entering the other stance. The benefits and merits of the two stances, while complementary, coupled with the linear design of monster players, would make the ability to quickly switch between the two simply overpowered. We're not backing down on this one. It is set in stone. Second, the stances will modify existing skills, sometimes wholly overriding them while other times leaving them intact. All this is covered herein. The stance dance thing, that's very interesting. Uh, monster players are very linearly designed. We don't have multiple skill trees and stuff like that. Uh, we don't even have enough class traits most of the time to be able to even fully change up the number of traits that we've got slotted. Uh, if you took a rank 15 creep and looked at all the class traits they have, they would have enough class traits to have maybe two setups that had no repeated class traits. 
and either they would split the desirable, the actually desirable traits between both lines and have two lackluster trait setups, or you would have one good trait setup that is the one they actually use, and one being a whole lot of traits that that player has decided they don't use that are rubbish for them in their playstyle, and that particular trait line would be absolutely pathetic and horrendous. So, when he says linear, he means linear, because that is what we are. <laughs> There's really not mo a whole lot of room for deviation when designing the trait setup of your monster play there. There just isn't a whole lot of flexibility there. Now, the whole um, modification stuff, we've seen a lot of this with champions and minstrels. Uh, right now, champions and minstrels undeniably are two of the strongest classes in the Edmores. Uh, both of them are capable of taking on three to four times their numbers uh, in enemy players and coming out alive with all of their opponents dead. I'm not really going to go into how I feel about that, but just know that that is a fact of the matter right now. Those classes can take on, in some cases, four to one and come out on top. No other classes are able to do that, and that's without any NPC interference. That's like... Four wargs jump a minstrel in the open field, and somehow the minstrel kills all of them. That's the kind of thing we're talking about, and that does happen sometimes. Not always, but it does happen. <clears throat> so, with that said, I mean, this is Orion who's doing this, and he's the one who did those updates. So, we will see what happens with these various changes, and how powerful it looks like wargs are going to be as we delve into this diary. Shadow Stance. This is the Stealth Stance. It increases damage, power regeneration in combat, and is the primary driver for stealth skills. Uh, never really would have guessed that, but okay. Flare Stance. This stance replaces Shadow Howler. Okay, Shadow Howler Stance is currently a rank 11 class trait that they can slot in that gives the Shadow Howler ability. Uh, Shadow Howler is a very strong stance. It does a lot of good for the warg. Uh, but it, it has some definite costs beyond just the fact that it takes up a, a class trait slot. Um, here's what he says about that, because he predicts instantly that there will be a lot of complaining about, ah, we need Shadow Howler to be effective and survive. He says, this stance is all about surviving, so it makes sense that we usurped this skill. You cannot stealth and flare, which is also true of Shadow Howler. It increases your armor, tactical, and physical mitigations. So, increasing the armor increases all your mitigations. Then on top of that, it also increases... <laughs> the tactical and physical mitigations again. It adds a small morale bubble on the warg that attempts to refresh every seven seconds. If the bubble is still present, this results in healing the warg for 5% of its maximum health. If the bubble is not present, the bubble is reapplied. Whenever the bubble breaks, the warg is healed for 1% of their maximum health. Grants access to brute and brute bonuses. Okay, skill changes. Brute. When you are in Flare Stance, you lose access to Stealth, but gain access to Brute. Brute is a short-term buff that enhances your chances to score Brute bonuses when using skills enhanced with Brute. Brute bonuses have a small chance to apply. This skill increases that chance considerably. Topple. When you are in Flare Stance, you lose access to Stealth, so Disappear is also replaced, becoming Topple. Topple will knock an opponent to the ground for a good chunk of time and shares its cooldown with Disappear. Knock your opponent to the ground means it's a knockdown type stun. Knockdown type stun is unpotable. Basically, it cannot be cured at all unless you are, pop a store-bought brand, or I, I don't remember if Lore Masters can use Sign of Power Righteousness to snap somebody out of it or not, but that's the other option that's really there. 
basically that's a method of almost guaranteeing that someone is going to be crowd controlled and stay down right there and if you're in a, a one versus one situation it is a way to guarantee you they're going to stay down as long as it's not a lore master who has sign of power righteousness up at that given time but if it drops you hit topple they are going to stay down on the ground until it has worn off that's just how knockdowns tend to work the fact that it shares its cooldown with Disappear, uh, Disappear is a 10 minute cooldown, it can be traded, it becomes 7 minutes, uh, that is a big deal. So if you are going to use Topple, that means that you're giving up any chance at all for Disappear. Because even though you can't Stance Dance, you could turn off Flare Stance and hit Disappear for an escape. So you have to choose carefully whether or not you want to use Topple or if you want to save that so you can actually Disappear. And if the actual amount of time that they're knocked down for is not sufficient enough for players to feel like it's worth it, then you're never going to see them use this. They will always save the disappear uh, and use that instead. So the fact that he says a good chunk of time is pretty ambiguous, but it does make me hopeful for a significant knockdown effect. To be honest, because it's a 10 minute cooldown, uh, I'm expecting that this will be a knockdown that's somewhere in the realm of 20 to 30 seconds which is just a huge deal. For most classes, if you put a knockdown on them for that long, even just as a solo guy, you can probably kill them before they have a chance to get up. It's as simple as that. That is how powerful that will be. But it's a 10-minute cooldown. We'll see how that actually pans out, though. So don't go crying OP just yet, because we don't know how long it actually is. Next, Muscle Tear. When you are in Flare Stance, Throat Rip becomes Muscle Tear. This skill decreases your target's movement speed and attack duration for a good chunk of time. Uh, throat Rip is a silence, ordinarily. Uh, you can use this to shut down a Captain or a Minstrel entirely, because almost every single one of their skills is a vocal-based skill. Not being able to do that in Flare Stance is going to be a bit of a drawback, because being able to Throat Rip a Minstrel or Throat Rip a Captain is a major part of work strategy, not only in 1v1s, but even operating in packs and operating in raids. The fact that they can get in there and shut down healing just by throwing out a simple throat rip onto an important target uh, means that they're very useful for that kind of crowd control where they can just shut down the healers for a few seconds uh, by throwing out their various crowd control effects on multiple targets within a short space of time and giving the rest of the raid a, a chance to get stuck in, get some kills, and really change the tide of everything. So it's going to be interesting to see how that change actually pans out here. Not saying that the effects that it's going to give are bad or anything, but it is definitely a, a, a significant opportunity cost there. Snap. In Flare or No Stance, reduces melee, ranged, and tactical damage output on the target. On a critical, it will disarm the target for a short time. In Shadow, this becomes Snap with an exclamation mark. On a critical, the target becomes silenced for a short time. So that means that a Wargus in Shadow mode has two silences available. Uh, one is Unreliable and the other one is Throat Rip. But an extra little side CC, interesting to see. Claws is no change in non-stanced. In Flayer, it becomes a Raking Claws. Equivalent damage to Claws with a dot equal to about half of the initial damage. This effect can stack up to three times. The Brute bonus places a wound on the target that will interrupt inductions every few seconds for the duration of the effect. That's going to be a huge bonus. So even though they won't be able to use Throat Rip to get a silence on a, on a healing target, they'll be able to turn on the Brute ability 
and fire off claws and have interrupts taking away that you know an interrupt is not only good against most healing classes but that can be used on damage classes that rely on inductions which means hunters and lore masters to interrupt their attempts to get off inductions and cause a lot of disruption to free d damage output so that's going to be a huge change and a gigantic bonus for wargs in Shadow, Claws becomes Bestial Claws, which increases the damage done by the Claws initially and applies a dot on the target that can stack up to three times. Bonus damage is applied when you are behind the target and the power cost of the ability is increased. Maul. In Flare, it becomes Agonizing Maul. Increased damage, increased bleed damage. The brute bonus is that it reduces incoming healing on the target. In Shadow, it becomes Sudden Maul. Bonus damage from behind, and on a critical, it increases attack speed which is the warg's attack speed, so that'll be a pretty significant boost on a crit. Savage Fangs. In Flare, it applies an attack duration debuff on the target, reduces the target's parry rating, and on Brute, reduces armor rating of the target. In Shadow, it increases induction durations and reduces parry rating. Dire Howl. In Flare, it becomes Howl of Aggression, which disarms multiple targets. In Shadow, it silences a greater number of targets. Irake. In Flare, it becomes Eye Gash, interrupts inductions, which is what it always does. On Brute, it lowers the target's block, parry, and evade ratings. So, for Flare, Eye Gash doesn't really change, except that when you get a Brute bonus triggered, it takes away block, parry, and evade ratings, which means that, that it's easier for the Warg to get past those and deal more consistent damage to their target, so that's just going to be a, a great boost. In Shadow, it interrupts inductions, and on a critical, will reduce the range of all ranged and tactical base skills of the target. That is going to be impressive. Especially since Shadow is, is the stealth class, so you could potentially use wargs to shut down a hunter battery that's set up, waiting for other groups to engage in melee. All of a sudden, a bunch of wargs come out and start hammering away on these guys, and fire off a bunch of eye rakes and stuff, reduce the range and tactical attacks, and then they can disappear if they want to. And the hunters and lore masters and runekeepers and minstrels and stuff all of suddenly find that they need to be moving a whole lot further forward to actually be contributing to the other fight that's opened up while the wargs suddenly jumped in. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works. Pack Hunters. In no stance, nothing changes. Pack Hunters is an ability where a flag gets placed over a target's head and, and there's a damage boost for all attacks that are hitting the target. This ability is actually a little bit buggy in, in the current state. Uh, it only boosts auto attacks and common damage currently, so abilities tend to not actually gain any significant boost from it. Also, the boost is just a fixed amount of damage, so something like 52. So it's, it's, a, it's a very odd buff. I mean, it's worth using because extra damage is extra damage, but it's not nearly as effective as it could be. But... That's where the stance is going to come in. In Shadow, this becomes Shadow Pack. The warg marks an area of the ground lowering defenses of all those within or who enter it. Leaving the area will apply a lesser version of the effect. This can be used from stealth. That's going to be a big change because it means that the warg can pop that thing off as a uh, precursor to the fight along with a couple other abilities that are also available from stealth and, and then go for mauls and other things like that. And it'll be interesting to see how that works out. But what about Flare? In Flare, Pack Hunters becomes Pack Flares. This locks the warg and his target in place, removing the ability to block, parry, or evade. 
the warg cannot use other skills during this effect and cannot be interrupted or crowd controlled. This is huge. For a long time now, ever since the changes made to sprint and charge, brutal charge, in Mirkwood, the free peoples have basically had access to plenty of get out of jail free cards that have enabled them to decide they want to leave the fight and get away with the monster players basically having no way to stop them from doing that. Phrases like coward's horn and boots of courage did not come out of nowhere. This ability changes all of that. It means that one faction can no longer say I'm leaving now, goodbye, and be gone with no chance to stop them because they're immune to slows and such things. No. Now, what will happen is they'll say, I want to leave, goodbye, and the Flayer Warg will say, I don't think so. It's got a huge cost to it. The Warg that does this is saying, I'm going to hold this guy down. Everyone else needs to take him out because if you don't, he's just going to turn around and kill me and I can't do anything about it. This is the kind of emphasis on the fact that it's a pack hunter that I like to see, where the warg has a utility support rule like this, where they're able to create an effect that no one else can create, that, that's inimitable, but where they are utterly reliant on their teammates to actually capitalize on this effect. They can shut the guy down, make sure he's not going anywhere, that he's going to have to stay there and take his medicine but he can't finish the job himself. If he doesn't have friends around, then nothing happens. I love the way that this looks, and it gives wargs so much more utility in a raid situation, because typically what happens in raids nowadays is wargs end up as a, a weaker version of a reaver in their current incarnation. They do similar damage, but they have a much smaller health pool, and they have lower mitigations. So they take damage faster, and they can't absorb as much damage as the Reaver can in a large health pool. But now, they've got other utility abilities that are highly desirable for a raid situation that the Reaver can't provide. So it gives both classes a unique spot within group composition, and allows both of them to shine. And I am all for that. Now those are the only two previews that we have for monster players right now. But I, as you can see, things are definitely looking to be very interesting come update 6 with how monster players are going to go. The other things we've looked at that are being talked about are wardens. Uh, wardens are getting some significant changes to them. Now, I don't have time to go through all the stuff. It, what they've gotten for their previews is very in-depth, covering all of their gambits and how the gambits are all going to be affected. But wardens are getting cut down to three stances that have three very defined roles that are tied to specific trait lines. Basically, they have a tanking stance, they have a damage stance, and they have a ranged damage stance. So Wardens are becoming an alternate form of ranged damage. Now that's creating some very interesting dynamics there, just because a Warden doesn't do as much damage as a Hunter does, but a Warden is a much tougher target than a Hunter is. Another interesting thing to see is that with the current legacies that they have and the buffs being suggested that will uh, take place in their ranged damage stance, a Warden would potentially be able to outrange a Hunter with their Javelins because they could potentially get to a range of 45 meters if nothing were to change based on their current legendary item legacies and such, which would be very 
strange. The guy with the javelin can throw his javelin farther than the guy with the bow can shoot his bow. You know, this is what happens when you're, when you're doing with a computer program. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how they work out. Personally, I happen to, to like the changes that are coming with Wardens, because it definitely gives them a lot more focus in their various lines. Uh, whereas what you have now, especially in terms of monster plan stuff, is you have three different trait lines that, that give various bonuses, but the major difference is, is in what stance they choose to use. And so a Warden can build themselves up to be in their damage stance and still benefit greatly from a lot of their self-healing just because of the trait line they've chosen. Uh, obviously you're not going to be doing great healing or doing super great damage at that point, but they have a lot more potential for mixing things up and getting and getting a lot of bonuses from multiple aspects of their class, uh, especially because they're a jack-of-all-trades class that can do a little bit of just about everything, <laughs> except for starting fellowship maneuvers. Uh, so that has made them very powerful in one versus one situations and, and soloing feats where wardens have been able to go up against what are supposed to be raid bosses and uh, kill them all by themselves because of the versatility that they had available to them. A lot of that was lost with uh, issues that cropped up with the Isengard level increase where their self-healing didn't really keep pace with the amount of damage that started coming in. And we'll see what happens when these changes go in, but from what I can see, it looks like they won't have the same ability to pull from all aspects of their class at the same time in a single stance. So if they're tanking, you know, they're going to be very survivable and very tough, but they're not going to be able to to draw on the damage, that potential that they would have otherwise had. And when they're doing their damage, they're not going to be able to, to draw on the same level of survivability that they used to. So it's going to be a, a much more hardline choice for them, where they can't say, I'm going to do damage and I'm still going to have a whole lot more survivability than just about anybody else out there. <clears throat> Especially because champions are currently holding onto that title with a death grip. So uh, the Wardens look promising as far as a, a class that's a lot more unique and dynamic because in their current form really uh, you look at the a warden that's running around and it's like oh it's a warden he's gonna be doing uh, you know, about this much damage he's got a bunch of health he's got self heals and things uh, he's running this stance so he's more aimed towards this but the amount of difference isn't that great and it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of difference in flavor between the various trait lines of wardens the difference isn't really that huge and that noticeable this will make it a lot more distinct and i think that's a great thing to have all right that is going to be all for the game news right now a lot of changes coming and well you've gotten to hear my opinions on it and you can form your own opinions but now it is time for our main topic and as you know from the music and what i've already said our main topic has guests so let's get ready for the defiler roundtable all right Today we are doing our first Monster Play Roundtable, and we have Defilers up on for today. So we're going to go ahead and start this entire thing off by introducing our guests, of which there are three. Now, we were going to have a fourth guest here, who was not going to be one of the Defilers, but unfortunately Merrick of Casual Stroll the Mordor is doing a Captain Roundtable right now, so he couldn't make it. But this is probably still going to show up on Casual Stroll to Mordor at some point, and he's probably going to be here for all the other roundtables as I get around to doing those. Anyway, we'll go ahead and introduce these people first. So first up... Okay, I am Baccarat. I am a rank 8 defiler on Landerval. 
I'm in a kinship called Knaves of the White Lady, white spelled like the ghost. And we had a time when we had like, you know, eight or nine of us who would play, but uh, then when the expansion came out, the, um, the you know, the level 75 cap being raised, they're all back on uh, Freep's side playing in Knights of the White Lady, um, which is spelled W-H-I-T-E. Did I cover all the basic things, the intro stuff? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Hi, uh, I'm Lotro Fanatic, uh, and I am uh, known as Defiler Dan on Vilya and Rittermark. I am rank 8 on Vilya and rank 7 on Rittermark. I'm about uh, 15k away from rank 9, so I'm closing in quickly on rank 9. And uh, I've been playing the Defiler since it came out back in, what was it, book 13, book 12, book 12, 13, one of the two. And Dan is uh, what I'm known on, on Vilya, and that's pretty much the, the short version of Defiler Dan, of course. All right, so uh, are you part of a tribe or any kinships? Yes, I'm. Uh, my tribe on Vilya is Cohesion, and uh, unfortunately we, uh, we dwindled a little bit because of uh, Star Wars. But uh, we're slowly getting our numbers back, and uh, hopefully we'll be back in forces of tribe out there. All right. Okay, and so now for our last one, Hot Toddy. Hi, my name is Hot Toddy. I am a Defiler, rank 9. I play on Landreval server. I, um, I'm an officer in Pouncing Pony. I just started playing out here with Rise of Isengard, and I've moved up pretty quick and uh, have done my best to try and build up that tribe. I guess they fell behind a little bit. A lot of um, people became inactive, so I've done my best to get us moving right along. Yeah, Pawnee's been around since basically the beginning of the game on Landreval, so they're one of the oldest tribes out there. Mm-hmm. Makes sense that they got a lot of inactive people. Yeah, they do. And they used to be a warg tribe, correct? Uh, yeah, they did start out as a warg-only tribe, and then mm-hmm. they expanded. Yep. All right. Um, and then, well, everyone knows me. I'm Ivan, but uh, I, I have no defiler because I deleted the one that I had a long time ago. And that's that. So we'll <laughs> see what I know about defilers. Uh, personally, I go ahead and I do analyze most classes that I'm working with and against just because it helps out with leading raids. So we'll see how... How good my memory is for this entire thing as we get onto this. So first step, in your own words, I want each of you to define the Defiler class. What does it do? What's its role on the battlefield? And uh, we'll go ahead and go in uh, the same order we've gone in. So Baccarat and then Fanatic and then Hot Toddy. So Baccarat, you're first. Um, well, uh, that's just basically the healer class. You know, you uh, have three different single target heals and then a big group heal and then uh, in certain situations people ask you to throw blight down on the ground and just sort of rotating that as needed and then if there's none of those you don't need any of that then you know there's uh, a few ranged attacks um, oh, 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 it's also nice to have that, um, whatchamacallit, the, uh, the fear where you, you thump your staff down on the ground and you, you fear three t- near, very nearby targets. It's extremely short range, but it's good for helping to escape. Okay. Fanatic, anything to add? Yeah, I, I just, uh, I agree with all that. I'd say big, I, I picture the Defiler as uh, half healing and half debuffs. Uh, I think uh, as you get up in rank, some of the debuffs 
although they could be a little more uh, effective if Turbine would decide to do so, but uh, I think some of the debuffs in, in terms of um, the, like the fears as well as uh, um, reducing some of the will and might in terms of the dropping those off the free... Those are the curses, right? Yeah, some of the curses that we've got, uh, I think, uh, are doing well. Uh, if As long as you've got the time to throw that, and if you're not healing uh, your fellow uh, members, uh, then I think you've, you've got the time to throw those. And, of course, uh, as, as Bakarat said, uh, Blight is always a fun one. Um, I think uh, but the combined effect of the minus 75% healing as well as the uh, acid effects if they move out of the Blight uh, is, a, is a double doozy for them. All righty. Okay, and hot toddy. Yes, blight kiting is wonderful. I go with what all of the guys said. The fear has saved my life many times, especially since we're in the back and we always seem to get a guard or a champ that's pounding on us. You fear them, and they will run. Uh, and the debuffs, the debuffs are great. I think that really it helps the whole killing process on the bosses, especially. You can see them stack up underneath. But um, I like the defiler healing. I think it works really well. I wish inductions were a little shorter, but uh, it's a good class. Yep. Yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. My Personally, I would say that primary role is healing by far, and then debuffing would be secondary with a tertiary damage role, because the damage output on a defiler is mediocre at best. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's what the defiler is. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the class traits and the racial traits that are available to the Defiler. Uh, what are the traits that you would consider indispensable to a Defiler? Every Defiler needs to have these traits. Mm. Improved Blight. You need to have the improved Blight. I don't know. That's, that's a tough one because everybody's different. It depends on what you do. I don't 1v1. So I'm mostly traded for healing. Right. Yeah. Which I um, don't have a lot of damage yeah, skills. I think the, the physical mastery ones actually um, up your healing, right? Yes, well. I do have two, so, two masteries slotted. So I, I'm slotted with four masteries, and then I really like to have a lot of health, so, you know, because they always go for you first when you're the healer. So um, I think I have uh, power for health, trading power for health, and trading damage for health, and then four masteries. That's what I have yeah. in my... Uh... Well, I've tried a couple of different things. Um, Maggot was the one who helped me set up my trait line, and he said that if you trade for damage, that that is your, part of your skills and that you will heal better. So I'm, I've always traded really? that way. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. You know, I, I'll have to take a look at that. So so like that when you get the... By trading away damage, I've trade away, traded away healing too? Is that... That's been think? his theory. Yes, it does work. With the War Leader, it's the same way. If you lose damage by corruption and getting health and such, you do trade away some of your healing potential. So I always have to keep that in mind with my builds, which is why I always include a couple of damage-boosting traits, just because I like having extra healing available. See, and I don't have... the. I see um, Defilers out there that are a lot less lower in level than I am rank and have more morale than I do. I I think my base morale is like maybe high 11s or 12,000, but I've seen like Ugly, he's got 16,000 fully buffed, but I, and I don't know where he gets it unless he's, you know, not, unless he's traded for morale and no damage. Yeah, that's probably what it is, although he might have two damage traits slotted in at the end just to try to balance it out a little bit. 
Okay, and um, let's see. I don't think I heard Baccarat in there. Did you have anything to say about the traits? Yeah, I was I was saying about uh, you know having four 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 masteries, and then I I, I didn't know about I didn't know about um, the damage actual damage being healing too. So I'm gonna have to go change that uh, right after we get off of here. But uh, let's see. As far as and liking to have a lot of health. I can't remember a lot of the other traits. I just, I like defenses too, so like, you know, the orc. The, uh, the one I just equipped today was, uh, I think they, they changed it. It used to be like defense against Valerian damage, but now it's tactical defense and plus two stealth detection. And so I I uh, slotted that one. I've been trying the, whatchamacallit, the, the two different orc special skills. Um, I tried like Blood of Fire, and you know, that's okay. And, and then I was gonna, I was, I, I played for a few days with um, the one Dying Rage, and Dying Rage was just totally useless for me because I'd be, by the time you get down far enough to use it, I would try and hit it right away. And I'd still die right away. You, you don't last another second to do anything. So dying rage is, is completely useless, or at least it seemed to be such for me. So I replaced yeah, I, that I, with... Um, I agree. So there aren't a lot of good orc racial traits for defilers. I'd say that the, the, the racial trait that for me is most uh, valuable or most indispensable is, is blood of fire, simply because it allows you to... Uh, you know, it's it's so minimal damage. Obviously, you're not going to take a, a freak down with it, but it, it actually, if you get hit with something, you know, you can almost lay claim to just a, a little bit of infamy if if they get taken out. So for me, blood of fire is just yeah. a tiny little bit of um, tiny little bit of damage. You know, it, it allows you to grab a bit of the infamy that that goes out if if someone gets taken down. So for me, that's my favorite uh, racial trait out of the out of all of them. You have to be careful with that. A lot of people don't know. If you have Blood of Fire on and you have a warg that's dropped pulling and you're running up to a boss, and if you have Blood of Fire, you can get aggro. Yeah, that's that's the big danger, and I, and I definitely learned to turn that off as we go in for and if we uh, you know do a pull like that. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a it's a it's a blessing and a curse, so to speak. Yeah, I hear that. And uh, for anyone who does not know who's listening to this, Blood of Fire is a damage reflect that reflects uh, 45 fire damage at whatever hits you every time it hits you. Um, the other one that you mentioned, which was the Stealth Detect and the Tactical, uh, that one was Enemy Against the Deep, if I remember correctly, and I think it used to be Ancient Dwarf, not Beleriand. Uh, how have you found that particular trait to work out for you? Um... It's a long, I'm using it just because there was nothing. I didn't see anything better. I didn't really like Blood of Fire. It's just uh, kind of passive skills. You know, it's it's. Um, maybe we're not talking about the same one. Is it the one with plus two stealth detection? Right. War yeah. Against, yeah. Warrior against the deep. Yeah, and so now it's actually tactical, tactical defense, right? It's tactical yeah, defense yep. and and stealth. Um, stealth detection, rather. And so it's hard to tell what it's doing because it's just a passive trait. But um, I use it. Yeah, I understand that. What about the tireless warrior regeneration? Do you, any of you guys slot that one in? Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. Okay. As for class traits, I'm I'm just curious if there's any of the class traits that you would never consider going over without, because I know that with war leaders, there's uh, harsh language is a plus twenty five percent outgoing healing, and 
basically you're insane if you go anywhere without that. And every single ward leader that's ever out there, as soon as they get that, it goes into the trait slot, and it never leaves. Is there anything like that for defilers? Like, uh, isn't there one that decreases healing threat? Yep. There's one that's uh, plus ten percent healing, right? That's yeah. Well, yeah, fungal so spore. Obviously, obviously that one. Yeah, um, I I have tried to unslot different ones to fit in some new ones, but I would always use the uh, enhanced spell sacrifice. It, it reduces your res time by fifty percent and the power cost. Oh right, we forgot we forgot to mention reses when we were talking about the orcs uh, primary or the defilers mm-hmm. primary thing. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. Re- out of combat reses, you know, keeping those, having that, you know, with only a 30 second cooldown instead of a minute cooldown is, is right. definitely important because it's possible to get out of combat if you just hang back for a little, little, I mean, if you don't have NPCs around and you just hang back for a little bit and just, you know, only heal yourself or whatever, you'll, you'll drop out of combat in, a, in 10 seconds or so and then you can get off a, a res. The enhanced slime is uh, is the plus ten percent outgoing healing and the minus ten percent healing threat. I would always have that slotted uh, outside of lugs. For some reason, the NPCs between lugs and grams are horrible, and you do get a lot of healing aggro, especially there. I'm not sure why. Yep, <laughs> healing aggro is something that's really been uh, on the rise ever since Isengard rose and. Yeah, I've, I've been noticing a lot more problems with that with my war leader as well, but war leader is a tank, so he can handle it for the most part. What about? Uh, um, I wanted to ask the other defilers. Blessings of darkness. I have such mixed feelings about that one. Do you guys use it? Love it. Absolutely love it. I, I um, didn't buy that one. So. Okay, so my problem with that is, so, but that is a single target heal. Well, it's like the runekeepers one, where you're taking some of the damage for them. What about the rest? of the people in your group that need heals, you don't feel that it takes time or healing away from everybody else? Well, yeah, absolutely. In that kind of situation, if you know, if, if the whole group, the whole raid is, is under attack, it, it's definitely a luxury to, to single out a single target like that. But I, if Blessing of Darkness says it, you know, we call it as the, the defiler bubble on, on Bilia. First of all, it's fragile as a bubble, let's say that. You know, you can interrupt it with just a, a stun or a, a mez or whatever, and it, it turns it off. And, and the slightest movement or jumping from the defiler will turn it off as well. So it, it's definitely um, a very tentative scale, but I've got it slotted because... He comes in, in very much handy for that last second save. If you know if the creep is down to under under a thousand k, and and the next hit from somebody is going to take it out. Um, if I can afford the luxury of of saving somebody or protecting them, then I'll go ahead and throw it. Probably the other problem is that it's got such a short range. But I'll give you an example. Just last night, I was able to throw it on a uh, reaver and. Um, unfortunately, for the freeps, they the, we were fighting fairly new freeps in the moors. And they, I, I'm guessing they, none of them had ever seen it or, or gone up against it because none of them were attacking me. They kept going up against the Reaver, and I had the chance to throw my big heal over time. And along with the automatic heal from the Blessing of Darkness as well as that heal over time, I was able to absorb all of his damage, and he was able to survive enough to take all, all four of them uh, out with help from the other creeps. So to me, it's, it, it's a, just a great last-second save, and, and to me, it's worth that slot in the class. What have you unslotted to put that on, to put that in there? 
Oh geez, it's uh, you know when when they when we were able to buy it in the Ultra store, I, I can't remember what we what I unslotted. I think oh you know what uh, my armor I unslotted my armor for that. Oh, okay. Oh. So, it, but but I will say I would agree with everything else you guys are saying that the, it's the enhanced res, the enhanced slime, the enhanced blight, and fungal spores. You, you, the fungal spores. Um, the other two that might be a little more interchangeable depending upon how you look at it is I've got fast lob and the health boost. Yeah, I do too. So you're saying you un- okay, you unslotted your armor. Okay. Yeah. So you guys both have fast lob traded? Mm-hmm. I do. But I'm thinking yeah. I'm thinking that I may unslot that to slot Blessings of Darkness because I don't want to give up my armor boost. I'm already squishy as it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have the armor too. I'm wondering what I what I'm missing then. What what I what I or what extra I have because I, I don't have fast lob traded. So I unslotted the enhanced effervescence efflorescence. Oh yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, because all have. that does is it it increases the range and reduces the power cost. I don't care. You're gonna stand next to me anyway. You you use it as a buff oh. usually before you go into fight into battle anyway. It's not because right. it stays so long, so it's not like something that you're going to put on in the middle of a fight. So I unslotted that. Yeah, I actually, the, even, let's see, I believe it's like 10 meters without without it being traded mm-hmm. and then 20. It's actually got quite quite a big range for, I mean, it's not quite as good. I, I think we can heal our other heals from 30 away. Mm-hmm. But that's a, but having a group heal that's good for 20 meters away, if you have it, if you have that traded is is comes in useful if you're if everyone in the group needs heals. So, I'm probably yeah. going to keep that one and not do fast lob, but I think if, if I, I guess if I were the type to retrade a lot and I was going solo, I, I do actually solo a lot, so I probably, you know, just to optimize, I would do fast lob when I'm soloing because, yeah, it's kind of a lot of a wind-up for our attack. What about the flies? Do you guys have the enha- the Plague of Flies enhanced one slotted? Nope. That's, that's one of the two class traits I have not even bought. Uh, whether DP or store, I, it's so minimal of, of use that you know, although I do use it, I didn't see the worth in, in spending a slot for it. Okay. That takes us pretty perfectly onto the next section about the traits of. Obviously, you feel enhanced flight is uh, basically not worth anything. Are there any other traits that are worthless as far as you're concerned that no one should waste their time with? Um, fungal cursing. I think that's a waste of time. What does that well, one do? It decreases your um, power cost for uh, curse skills by 15%. That's um, a waste. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, same with the um, enhanced sticky feet. That's minus 1,238 fire defense. Yeah. I, it's I it's, it's good when you get it because I think it's like a like a rank 2 skill or something or, or something like that. It's good for if you don't have anything else. But, you know, if if you've got other ones that you need slotting, that one definitely goes up. Well, yeah, you have the, the sticky feet, which reduces their run speed by 10%. But then the enhanced sticky feet, which in addition to the movement penalty, they have a curse. It reduces their fire defense. So I, yeah. that's not worth a slot to me. I agree with that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swap out the Blessings of Darkness from time to time and see what happens. Try it out. Usually I'm the one that needs the help, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Speaking of starting out. When you're starting out as a new defiler, what are the holes that are most apparent in the class? Uh, mostly the stuff that gets filled in as you rank up later, but that is a major deficit for an early defiler. No maps. I don't know. 
I don't know that you know the defiler is pretty self-sufficient. Right from the get-go. If you group, I didn't get into groups at all until I had my maps because I I didn't want to be a burden, and um, yeah, I didn't find it. But then you know what? I bought a lot of my skills right off the bat. I have to admit. So I don't know. I'm not a good one to tell you. I guess. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I I started playing a, li- a little bit, you know, little ways before you could buy skills. Um, so I kind of remember, uh, but I, I was grouping a lot, and we went down into the um, the what call it the the caves Delving. there. The Delving, yeah. You're you're basically a healer, I think. But you know, your damage for soloing was 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 not that bad. So you know, I think overall you're you're viable. You're squishy, but you're viable. You did heal yourself enough to run to a cave if somebody attacked you. That's the way I was. Yeah, uh, fanatic. Anything to add? Yeah, I'd say I've started. You know, I've started a couple different defilers across the server, so I kind of have the the feeling of starting over as a new defiler is is, is still pretty fresh sometimes. Um, I, I I would agree with with Patati that that when you start out, you're you're pretty well rounded as a defiler. You've got uh, two heals, you've got uh, your res, and you've got a couple of combat skills and and a few uh, class traits that that work pretty well. So you know, just like any new uh, creep out there, you know, you're you're definitely squishy, especially if you have creeps that know what they're doing. But for, I didn't really feel useful as a defiler until I got to rank six when I got the um, efflorescence, which is the big uh, hot. So you definitely come in handy. You kind of fill in the, especially now that our, our defiler heals stack. Um, you know, when they made that change, that was like praise turbine for that one because that just mm-hmm. increased our effectiveness in a, in a group or a raid uh, so much more. But even before then, we, we did our, our share of healing in a group, and I, and I think we were uh, effective enough to uh, support the, the war leaders in, in with the big group heals. Oh, yeah, i got to agree with that. Nothing works as well for healing, as far as I'm concerned, as having a war leader and a defiler. Uh, the two pair together just so incredibly well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I remember getting, you know, getting the third, the third heal, and and this that you know you could basically at that point when you have the three heals. When do you get it? it's like three or four? When you get the um, the was it fungal spores, or I don't remember. Uh, but no. Rank five. It's five. Rank okay. but yeah, that, five is is fungal spores. Oh, rank three must be the uh, fell restoration, right? Uh, yes. So that, that that when you have the three heals, you can basically heal constantly, and you're not left wondering, okay, what do I do now in between while my heals are cooling down? Right. Okay. What are the weaknesses of the class that are going to be there pretty much all the time? Inductions. The length of the inductions. I you know, it's funny you would say, you know, I remember playing a minstrel, you know, uh, uh, before they made the changes, and and I hated playing a minstrel so much because you could get interrupted, basically, and mm-hmm. that, that's really what I hate. But the nice thing about, uh, about two of our heal, the two of, two of the three um, single target heals, you know, they really don't have much of an induction. Only, no, Only but, the third one has an induction. Right, but the... Um the fell the fell restoration is has a long induction to me, and the blight. I wish they would shorten that. Plus, that's my biggest complaint. Why do we have to have a target to throw down blight? Oh, you said it. Freeps don't cow. have to have a target to throw down sticky tar. BAs don't have to have a target to put down a fire trap. Well, so how, what determines where it goes? What determines where where the the blight goes? tar and the sticky trap goes? Just wherever they aim it at. Well, actually, it lands right in front of them at their feet, so you'd have to walk right up to the guys to throw the blight down. 
Having the target means you can throw it at a range. So that is a slight advantage. That, I guess that's true, especially if you can, I target um, a pet and fear it, and then it takes the blight right out with them. Nice. Nice. That's great. Uh, I'd have to agree with Hatati. The, the, the inductions are the Defiler's biggest uh, weakness, and, and that's mm-hmm. why I I suck so bad at 1v1s. Um, it's just going up against a, a class that can deal out the DPS in, in you know, multiple times in a second is just is almost impossible. I think I, I and V one v ones, the filer has the best advantage. I think against the hunter because we're essentially going up against up against their range um, and don't often have the same type of delays or interrupts that a, a champ or a berg can throw on us at, at, at melee range. Oh yeah, bergs are crazy out here. Yep. I really don't consider, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess that is a drawback, but it, I don't really miss that, you know, the having the induction, the indu- inductions on our attacks and such. I'm very glad that we ha- we can heal on the run, you know, like a captain yes. Can, yes. Can, can heal yeah. while moving. So so that that's definitely, uh, uh, I consider that uh, the blessing. Uh, the runekeeper, that's the nice thing I liked about the runekeeper from the very beginning. Uh, what about power regeneration? I often see a lot of defilers and hear them uh, talking about running out of power very quickly. Do you find that's a, a major issue? Mm, that's what the Plague of Flies is for. But that, and that's why I was asking the boys if they have the enhanced Plague of Flies slotted because that's supposed to help your power regen. I'm always planning ahead for power, so I, I, I carry pots, and when I'm down, you know, like 700, 800, you know, I, I'll take a pot right then and yeah. there. I plan, I plan yeah. ahead, and yeah. I do I run out of power, but only after like like 10 minutes of fighting. So yeah, I have, I have, I agree. I haven't had that happen too often, unless we get into a long, long fight. Then you know, it's it's tough. Yeah. Well, I think that also being able to go to the store and buy the rank 11 power regeneration racial trait uh, also helps out just a ton with that whole power management issue. What is that one? That's the tireless warrior one. Aha. Uh-huh. The next thing up is, uh, are there any recommended store purchases and uh, a recommended starting play style for a new person? Uh, I think you've already said that enhanced blight is a must-have, so is there anything else that you would recommend? Uh, well, blight itself. You, you, you've got blight by itself, and then you've got the enhanced uh, blight uh, as a trait. So it's kind of those; those are, those are the two purchases right there that that make up how effective blight is. And then for me, my like I've already kind of described, I'd say for personally, uh, the, the blessing of darkness um, was uh, was a good purchase for me. Uh, the first, the first thing I, I, I held off buying things for a while because I was already, you know, probably rank six at least when the skills became available at the store. Um, but uh, the first thing I bought was the blight and the enhanced blight, just because you know people were talking about it. People just expect you to have it, and I didn't have it, so I was just like, okay, I need to buy these. And then I started looking at the great uh, passive things, like the the one with the pa- power regen, you know, and, and uh, I bought probably two or three of those too. So the, the, those are what I would say. I, I did not do blessing of darkness. I think it's just not a right. I, I think it's a great skill, but it's just kind of not, doesn't suit my play style. I like to move around. A lot so and you know run around like, with like a chicken with my head cut off um so blessing of darkness just wouldn't work for me yep fair enough and uh i think all of you said that starting off you guys started out by going into groups is that what you would say a new defiler is best suited for is get into a group and heal 
Yeah. Yeah. To, to learn how to play, yes. Yeah. All right. Okay, then let's go into some of the specifics for the various play styles. We'll start off with raiding. What's the fundamental skill set that you use during raiding, and what are the additional utility things that you would use while you're raiding, stuff that you would throw out beyond heals and such? I'll start with you, Baccarat. Um, sort of balancing healing between, you know, getting out of combat to res. I mean, really, you know, if, if there are people who need heals, you need to be tossing heals, so... Um, you know, it's uh, cheaper and faster to save the people that are up than it is to res them. But um, sometimes, you know, you've got someone who's down, maybe a war leader that you need to get up. It's just sort of uh, the knowing, you know, what to go for. You know, that, that those are probably the hardest, the hardest calls, and not keeping keeping and keeping an eye on everything so as you know don't get distracted when you know chasing after someone who's on you to throw down uh, the the fear three-target fear thing is, is generally a mistake. I mean, sometimes it works out well, but it's, it's just sort of knowing, you know, what to do and figuring it out as you go along. But I think I probably err on the side of doing that a little too much, and it usually gets me killed. All right. Fanatic, what would you say about raiding? For me, I think uh, in terms of, of kind of buffing up the group uh, that I happen to be in, uh, I think Slick Flesh is really important to, to get up... Uh, to, to increase the melee range and tactical defense, critical defense. I think it's like upwards of, of 1,500 uh, increasing the defense is, is a big one. And uh, if I don't have that on my group, uh, you know, I, 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 I can kind of chastise myself for not remembering to throw that on everyone. So, you know, if, if everyone's health, if, if the morale is, is up there, then, I, you know, I'm kind of looking at the rest of the grade to see what I'm, uh, if I can help out. Uh, any of those groups as well so it, it kind of I start off with my mentality of looking after my group first and then I try and focus on the rest of the raid to see where my where the heels need to go and if uh, a res can be thrown I'll throw that as well okay then and hot toddy um I agree with all of that it, it's, our main function is to heal the group the debuffs are really good if everybody is healed up the curse of the rotten flesh it does the plus 5% incoming damage on the mob. I definitely always try and put that up before on a raid boss. Uh, I love to hit the minis with melancholy, Curse of the Melancholy Heart, which lowers their outgoing healing. And the, the Curse of Deadly Sorrows, which is minus 325 fate, will, might, and armor value. That's probably about it. I did learn one thing, not to heal outside my group, because I've done that before. Um, cross heal people in my group is fine, but if you heal somebody outside of your group, that will bring aggro to you. Yeah, well, I think that uh, cross healing outside of the group is a situational call where you have to decide: is it going to seriously impair me at this particular point? Can I get away with it? Because it's always nice to be able to throw heals at people that are outside your group. It's just that there is a fundamental risk there of they might just hang me out to dry while they run away. I've had raid leaders get mad at me because I brought aggro in our group by healing somebody else. Yeah, that also sometimes happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I don't usually consider that. I mean, I mean, if I definitely heal my my group and my raid first, but you know, if I, if I can heal someone, I, I guess I guess there are situations where it does happen. 
you know, where you've got NPCs. Obviously, you know, we're talking about aggro as just NPCs. So if you don't have a lot of NPCs around, if you keep people, even if they're not in your group, keeping the people around you up, you know, makes the, our, the, the creep side stronger. And, if, yep. you know, when it's a very close fight, you know, you need all the help you can get. So, you know, it's better to have everyone alive. Yeah. I would say that probably the one situation where the raid leader does get upset because you healed somebody outside the group is if you're, say, in front of a keep like Tirith Raw, and, you know, some ward or reaver has gone up to the doorway and pulled a bunch of the door guards, and they're coming back, and they're going to get away all right. They're going to be at low health, but they will survive. If you throw the heal, you give your entire group all these door guards. But if you let him go, then they will reset, and you can press more normally at a a better pace that's going to work for your group and not risk the potential of a wipe. That's the one place where I won't throw the heal out to somebody who would otherwise need it. I'll wait for the NPCs to reset, then I'll give them the heal. Mm -hmm. I'd say the other two things to, to watch out for in a, in a raid is, uh, especially in terms of a, a keep uh, a keep raid, uh, is your fear and your flies. Because the flies, just like any pet, uh, even though they're kind of a weird pet, but pet nonetheless, you know, they can pull mobs if they get distracted off their target or, or pulled. And then the fear, if you throw fear and they wander off near someone who's not even involved in the fight, that fear can pull them in as well. So right. those are those are big things to kind of keep in mind uh, when you're raiding for a keep. Okay, then. In the small group setting versus the raiding, what are the main differences there? And what stuff do you have to adapt to that's a big difference from being inside of a raid itself. I'm not sure it's any different. Um, I can't think of anything. Okay, so you don't end up having to kite any more just because you don't have any cross-healing and you don't notice that you get extra time to throw out any debuffs or anything. Instead, it, it's mostly the same. Yeah, I think so. Interesting. Okay, uh, what about you, Fnatic? Um, I, in a small group, especially if we have a war leader in the group, I definitely feel I have a little more flexibility in terms of throwing out more DPS than I might in, in a normal raid, just because if you throw out a blight and then you can throw out explosive gourd, you know those are both AOE DPS and it, it just uh, it, it helps the group in terms of our outbound damage. I might not do that as much in a raid because I'm probably focusing more on the healing. But even if I don't have a war leader in the group, I still usually have kind of my focus will shift back and forth between damage and, and healing a lot, I think, in a smaller group. All right. Uh, what about you, Hot Toddy? I agree with all of the above. Um, one thing I did learn, too, being in a small group, if you throw down Blight and there's other people around you and they drag a mob through your Blight, it brings that mob back to your small group. So yes. I've, I've, I've learned to be careful there. Um, you have to be real careful where you throw it down. But other than that, it's pretty much that I would consider that one of the things to adapt to. Okay. That's the only difference, I think. Okay. All right, and then on to soloing. I I think only Baccarat says he solos, so we'll save him for a moment. Hot Toddy, do you have anything to say about soloing with a defiler? Not necessarily against freeps, but also just against NPCs. You know, I oh NPCs, I go to the delving. I prefer to go to the delving by myself. And I just blight kite the mobs through there first, you know, when I work to get stones. But um, so 1v1s, I'm not good. I am not good at melee, so it's uh, hard for me to do 1v1s. I probably could tell you a handful of, 
of the ones, and I've usually won them. I think I've lost one, and that was to, like, Luke or Foy. But uh, I, I probably wouldn't even try a one to be one with somebody that I didn't think would be, like, at my play style or my level. So I learned I don't do much of it. Yeah. For those ones that you did win, did you win those basically by just staying alive and getting them with damage reflect and whatever you can throw yes. at them? Or? Total, totally legit. In fact, the, um, the last one of the one I ever had was with Carter. And she posted on the forums, thank you, that I was one of the few. The only one she had that day that didn't run to the NPCs or call her out. But I think I was too scared to type. <laughs> I just I I was really surprised that I did win that one. She, she's a captain. She didn't use last stand, which she could have, and that would have been the end of me. Okay, fanatic. How, how have you found soloing with Dan? Um, I think as a solo class, especially above rank six, uh, is pretty effective um, in terms of NPCs. You know, there's there's no problem going to the delving alone. I I tried to take on a couple of bosses in the delving as a defiler, and and I just I can't make headway against how much morale they have in terms of DPS. So I don't usually go after the big bosses, but I you know I would agree with uh, Hot Toddy that uh, it is a solo class defiler is pretty well survivable. You know they've got definitely with all the heals we have. Very survivable. If if I need to, I will try and use NPCs against uh, anyone pulling uh, you know, a free for somebody. Uh, if it's not a full full on V one or one V one, but like I said before, I, I am not good at one V ones at all, and and uh, I just have a hard time balancing my power against my damage output, especially if I'm being uh, hit constantly by a, a champ or a berg or something. But overall, uh, I feel pretty uh, uh, safe going across the map as a, as a defiler in terms of my survivability. I, I do too. I, I feel safe out there. Just I not against freaks. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm safe enough to get into a keep. But cause they're just they just seem to be so overpowered right now. It's I was in Grotham and radar came. I was turning a quest in in Grotham to the little uh, goblin back in the corner block and I had my back to him he came up stunned me hit me and killed me before I even came out of the stun he's radar he's not normal I didn't even know he was there yeah yeah radar's fun <laughs> uh, Baccarat what do you got to say about soloing with the defiler um, I think the, the word uh, um, others used uh, survivable you know, it's very survival, but sometimes you'd, I don't want to survive, you know, and sometimes I could run across the whole, you know, I remember being in Grotham once, and I got away, I mean, I, I ran all over the place, and that must have been like five minutes, you know, I should have just, like, let myself be killed, start over, <laughs> um, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, some, we get really, you know, what is, what is the goal of all this, um, I, I don't know, but yeah, so I should probably fight back a little more often because not all freeps are created equal, you know, like, like you know, I, I, you know, Baylock keeps attacking me, so what happened? It was like, I don't know, it was, it was in uh, Grotham today, and um, he was doing a quest there, and he came after me, and I went 
I, I went for his, you know, Alf Earthenway and killed Alf Earthenway. Just, you know, I, I, I've never done that quest on, on I, I, don't, I don't play Freeps in the Moors anyway, but, um, so I've never done that quest, but I just killed Alf Earthenway, went to the NPCs and mapped out. I probably, there in the NPCs, I probably could have taken him out there. Um, even, even because he's not a very good guard, um, I think, right? Baylock? I don't know. I'm uh, gonna try that. <laughs> I don't really know. I haven't. Mm-mm. But I should have at least tried. But you know, I was just like, okay, you know, I I I sabotaged his quest. I'm leaving now. Go go on about my you know business and come back later to turn into Bach, who wasn't there because he had killed Bach. Yeah, that that's sort of like you know I get there. Oh man, they killed Bach again. That, that's like that's my one of my pet peeves. Um, but anyway, soloing, yeah, it's more it's more about surviving. Um, you know, being out there, the thrill. Anyone could attack me anytime. Can I get away? You know, yeah. And sometimes I know I can probably get away, but you know, I'd rather sometimes just be killed and go back, hide somewhere else in some other part of the moors uh, where they're not going to find me. I don't know. It's it's a judgment call each time. If I'm right there by TR or TA and we hold it, oh, I'll, I'll suicide on the NPCs. I mean, actually, I, I, I've never tested this, so, I mean, and, I, and I've asked, and I've assumed people were telling me, like, the truth. Like, if I, you know, if, you know, they hit me twice and then I run away and, you know, get killed by... Uh, in Hor Hollow by, you know, 17 farmers and 15 gardeners and the mayor, they only get a teeny, teeny bit of infamy, right? Uh, it depends if they were still in range. And I, I think there's a, a timeout on how long it has to have been since they killed you. Because I've noticed that sometimes I've hit somebody... My question is they only get a tiny bit, right? Because the NPCs did, you know, seven-eighths of the damage, right? Uh, yes, that is true. Okay, so... So, yeah, I'm more, you know, they're going to get a little bit, but I want to, you know, give them as little as possible. I don't stand a chance of winning here, so, you know, just uh, suicide and start over. Okay. Uh, for any of you, are there any things for soloing specifically that uh, you use as just, like, one of your standard tricks for how you actually fight? Uh, do you tend to throw down the blight and just try to kite them through it, or are there any other abilities that you would use in, when trying to do a 1v1, but not necessarily would actually get off in raiding or small group or anything like that? That's where the induction issue comes up. It's hard to get uh, blight down. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. Unless you fear yeah. them, and then, then they usually hit a pot real fast, so that doesn't work. It's amazing how fast 2.5 seconds just really can last when you know when you're when you're trying to stay yeah. alive, and it's just it, how many times you get hit up, knock back again, knock back again. It's just mm-hmm. it, it's amazing how long it 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 really can last. Oh, I hear you. <laughs> 2.5 seconds is the induction on the War Leader AOE heal. It takes forever. <laughs> Does that get interrupted? Oh yeah. Okay. Now, can you um, hit a pot or a brand, and will that stop the interruption of the induction? No, you cannot. Uh, brands do not prevent induction knockbacks. Okay. Uh, All right. No. What's the induction on efflorescence? It's not that long, is it? Efflorescence is two seconds. Two seconds, really? Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, we've come almost to the end of the scheduled outline, so... What are your concluding thoughts on the class? Uh, we'll start with Baccarat. Um, lots of fun. Um, you know, I, I, 
I like being the healer. I uh, like having, you know, heals that you can do on the run that don't have a lot of induction or no induction at all, really. I mean, I think that they, I've, I think the two of them have no induction and then efflorescence. It just doesn't seem that long anyway, but um, it's, it's fun. It's fun in a group. Uh, Fanatic, what are your concluding thoughts on the class? Um, I, I, it's a great class. I just, uh, I love, I love it. It's, it's a class that I play almost exclusively now. I spend most of my time on Creepside nowadays, and I spend my time on Defiler Dan. Um, I, I love being able to frustrate the Freeps uh, with, you know, with a last-second save uh, when it looks like a character's going down, whether it's a a big heal at the at the last second or blessing of darkness. I consider it my job, my pride to uh, to frustrate them and and save that uh, or prevent that kill. And if if I do, you know, if I I know I'm doing my job well when you know they go after me at all costs. When I when I get so much focus fire, then there's no possible way that I can survive. I know I'm I know I'm doing my job out there. So uh, I love. Uh, whether they're in group or, or whatever, I love I love helping the creeps and supporting them. So uh, it, it's a great class. All right, and hot toddy. I love this class. It is a lot of fun. I wish that um, we would have more protection from the you know our fellow creeps, but I know that's not going to happen. Um, I do know that you know if a ward would pounce somebody who is beating on me while I'm trying to heal the group, that would be a big help. That's my goal, to get more works to help us out. But all in all, it's a great class. It, it's a lot of fun. I'll be sure to pass your messages on to the works when I get around to their roundtable. Oh, good. <laughs> we'll see what Arctic has to say. <laughs> okay. So, before we go, we back or at anyone you want to do a shout-out to? Hmm. Just uh, to my uh, tribe on, on Freepside, the Knights of the White Lady. Um, just, you know, just... Uh, you know, they've, they've been great here. Um, I'm, I was actually a Gladden player, so I've only been on this server for, like, I don't know, more than a year. But um, then I came here to uh, join the Knights. And, you know, I would like to get more of them out in the moors. Uh, would be nice. And I think, you know, once they, uh, you know, we, we had a few of them out uh, before the last uh, expansion came out, um, and I think we'll get them back out again uh, soon. But, uh, you know, the Moors is fun, so come out and join us. All right. Defiler Dan. Uh, i got to say thanks uh, to my tribe, Cohesion. Even though there's just a few of us left that are still hanging around the Moors at this point, uh, uh, Happy Blood and Grope, uh, Happy Bloods are... Uh, our tribe leader at the moment, and he's uh, he's a BA, and Grope is a war leader, and we're all, uh, uh, I think Happy Blood just got rank 9 today, and Grope is uh, at least rank 9, so when I run with them, we're not completely overpowered by the by numbers, by the Freeps, we're, we're a pretty effective team, Happy takes, Happy takes care of our DPS, and Grope and I take care of Happy, and sometimes occasionally the other of, uh, the other of us. So a uh, big uh, shout-out to them, and, and uh, big shout-out to both Freep and Creep on Billy and Riddermark, uh, you know, having spent so much time on those two servers. Uh, you know, just, just making the, the play out there as fun as it is, as, as fun as it is for me, uh, you know, hello, hello to them, and thanks a lot. All right, Hot Toddy. Oh, I'll give a shout-out to my tribe, Pouncing Pony. I love those guys. They're a great support group. Pounceable is awesome. He's so patient with everybody. 
um, and Shazlock. Shazlock has run some uh, really great raids out in the moors, has really helped with the creep morale that we've had to deal with with the Freep Zerg. I'm happy with being out here. I've really stopped playing my Freep. I'm, um, I, I don't know if it's I like the underdog or what, but I love it out here. I kind of make it my goal to heal all these guys. Um, Pain of Bother said something in OOC, which when I hit rank 9, he says, you're hard-pressed to find a better community healer than Hot Toddy. And I'm like, oh, I thought that was a nice a nice comment. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I like it here. I'm here to stay. Okay, then. I think that is the conclusion of our roundtable, so thank you all for coming out. It was great to have you guys here, and you definitely helped give some insight into the class for myself and everyone who's going to be listening to this. All two dozen. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Welcome to Player News. First up, I've got some announcements about the roundtables. This was some stuff I meant to say last time. Didn't really get around to it. But, you know, such is life. Things get forgotten and shuffled around. And that's how things go. Anywho, I will now make up for it. Lotro Fanatic, who was just on the roundtable you heard, uh, he sent me an email asking me if he could be on the roundtable. I had meant to tell people that they could send emails and volunteer to be on the roundtables. I had forgotten about that. So let me just say that right now. You can go ahead and volunteer to be on one of the roundtables that's coming up for the Monster Play classes. There's not a whole lot of time to be able to get on the Warleader roundtable, which is the next one up, but... The other four classes, uh, there's plenty of time if you're interested in being on that roundtable to shoot me an email and say, Hi, here's my name. I play this class. I'd like to be on the roundtable. And I'll be able to get up back. I'll be able to get you set up so that uh, we can get the whole thing rolling, coordinate with schedules, and all that fun stuff. However, along with that, I do need to set a couple ground rules. The biggest thing is that I need people to actually respond to emails in a timely manner because... If they don't, then what happens with the War Leaders happens all over again, and I'm just not going to do that again. Uh, the War Leader Roundtable was supposed to be the first one I did. The problem I ran into is that I kept having people say, oh yeah, I'm interested, and then I couldn't get a hold of them. Uh, sometimes it was because of the forum issues I mentioned, where I couldn't get on the forums and check private messages and such. Uh, more often it was just they never got back to me with an email address, sent me an email or anything, and so I couldn't get in touch with them again to coordinate dates, tell them this is when the thing's happening, and stuff like that. So I couldn't get the thing scheduled because I couldn't get in touch with the participants. So if you volunteer, you need to actually respond to this stuff. Otherwise, I'm going to just go ahead and assume that you're not going to be on there, and I'll go ahead and schedule a roundtable and I'll go forward and do the entire thing without you if you haven't responded. I'll schedule it without you, and if you're able to make it then and start responding, you'll be able to get on. But if you don't respond at all, I'm not going to wait for you. And that's just how it's going to have to be, because I've got a schedule I'm trying to keep here, and I want to get through these things in a timely manner and not have stuff delayed for forever, like often has happened with Through the Palantir in the past. That's just not something I want to go through again. And so I've got to lay that rule down there. Okay. Now, the second thing, uh, as you heard me say at the start of the round, say, well, Merrick was not here. I talked to Merrick of Casual Stool the Mordor, and I also mentioned it to Golden Star, and then she mentioned it on the show later, but I'm not going to go into there. Anyway, Merrick 
is going to be a guest on most of these roundtables, and he's just going to be sitting in for two reasons. Number one, so he can record the, the roundtable himself. That allows me not only to, to share the roundtable with Casual Sold Mordor and his listeners, which is one of the things I offered to let him do when I first got in touch with him, but it also means that we're able to both record and then share our recordings together, and that means that we have a, a backup version in case it's one part of someone's recording ends up being a bit messed up, a bit distorted or something, you can always go to the other version and check to see if it's okay there. And that's <laughs> that's something that I've, that we've do, done on Through the Palantir for forever, because we've always been recording in multiple streams with all three of us, back when there were three hosts, and taking care of business like that. And it works fantastically to have multiple options there for being able to do the editing. Uh, unfortunately, he couldn't make it. He was on the Captain Roundtable, but he will be on in the future. And also, the, the Roundtables are going up on the Casual Stroll to Mordor and going to be part of their feed as well, because I'm sharing it with them. The only thing that Casual Stroll to Mordor does that's not going to be done for these Roundtables is there's no live streaming of these. Now, I've got a couple reasons not to doing live streaming. Uh, the first reason is that we're coordinating across basically the entire world. I'm in Singapore. Time zone-wise, that's basically as far around the globe as you can get from the east coast of the United States. It doesn't matter which direction around the globe you go, it's as far away as it gets. So when you're dealing with that kind of distance, adding live streaming into the equation can lead to extra headaches because you can have performance issues and stuff, and it's a bit of a hassle. The other thing is that bringing in a lot of guests and stuff on these, and I want to have an atmosphere that's a bit more laid back and relaxed where <laughs> you can feel free to get a little sidetracked, go off on a tangent every once in a while, do the stuff that Through the Palantir does, and not really worry about it because even if you, you say something accidentally that wasn't meant to be said, like someone's real name and such, which happens all the time with Through the Palantir, have it just be alright because it's not instantly broadcast out to the interwebs, but you can go back, correct these kinds of issues and mistakes and stuff, and take care of it like that, and present a finished and polished product out for other people to enjoy and listen to, and without placing any stress on the participants with the whole, ah, there's an audience listening to me live right now, but instead you can tell them, no, relax, it's okay, we'll clean up the stuff and post-edit, we'll fix everything, you just relax and be yourself, and, and I think that leads to a more, a more fun recording experience, and so that's kind of what I want to do. Plus, you know, Through the Palantir is not a podcast that does live streaming, so it, it keeps us with that. So those are the reasons I, I didn't want to do live stream, but I was still willing to share with the other members of the Lotro podcast community, uh, especially because uh, Casual Stroll to Mordor, uh, they're always getting asked by people to do Monster Play roundtables and stuff, and I'm already organizing Monster Play roundtables. If I share with them, then that means that instead of having multiple podcasts releasing the same information within a couple weeks or months of each other. What you get instead is a collaborative effort where both teams pool their resources together to create a better roundtable experience that is then shared with everyone. And so then, then you don't have instances where it's like, well, you don't really have the complete picture because this roundtable covered some stuff that this one didn't, and so you really need to listen to two roundtables to get the whole thing. Instead, there's just one roundtable to look at, and it makes things a little simpler for the listeners, in my opinion. The other thing to say about the roundtables is that 
because of update 6 coming and you know, developer diaries and stuff, uh, I am changing around the order that I'm going to be doing the roundtables in. We're going to be doing the War Leader Roundtable next. I'm trying to get that set up so I can record it next week. Then I'll go ahead and record uh, another episode. It's probably going to be a pretty short episode because I doubt there will be a whole lot of news. Hopefully a developer diary or two will be out. I'm going to talk about but I want to get that one done, then I'll have uh, my two episodes for February done. Well, plus, I've got to work on that anniversary episode. Uh, and then, after that, I'm going to be doing Black Arrows and Reavers for March. And hopefully by the end of March or so, that's when Update 6 will be coming out, or mid-March. And then that gives a little bit of time for the players to toy with the changes that come with, to Wargs and Weavers. And then we'll handle the Wargs and handle the Weavers right after that and get those roundtables done after the major revisions to their class are done so that I don't record and then release a roundtable that's instantly outdated by the next update that comes out. I, I want to have it be relevant a little bit longer than a couple of weeks until update 6 comes out. So that is what the roundtable schedule currently looks like. So we're going to have war leaders very shortly. Uh, as I said, next week should be when it's recorded, uh, either Thursday or Friday. So not a few days. It'll probably be like three days from when this podcast gets up, maybe two days. And then after that, two more roundtables in March and two more in April. And that should be it for the roundtables. And we will have that all done and be on to next stuff for Through the Volunteer. So that's coming up. Um, also, in real life, uh, I've got some interesting stuff going on. I'm, I'm getting ready to move countries. I'm going to be leaving Singapore fairly soon here uh, within about 10 days or less. And I'm going to be going to Cambodia. And I will be in Cambodia for the next three months or so. And we will see how that goes. I, I'm still going to be do doing roundtables and playing the game from there. But it'll be interesting to see how the infrastructure affects the ability to do roundtables and such things from Cambodia. Because Cambodia is a different country from Singapore. It's a different setup. It's a different place. <clears throat> it also means that you know I'm going to be a bit more busy as I do the whole move over there and stuff. And so we'll see how that affects the schedule. But I'm just letting you know that beforehand. Um, after those three months, I will most likely be moving to the United States, uh, coming back to my home country. And so that'll be an interesting transition period. But by then, I should be done with the roundtables. So at that point, the podcast should not be interrupted at all because I'll just be able to record at my leisure for the most part, uh, get it edited, and then be able to upload and we won't have to worry about internet connections disrupting the quality and the, the recording sessions and stuff like that. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but that's some stuff coming up for me in real life. But as I'm packing all this stuff, I'm finding myself facing questions and, and, and quandaries that I've never before had to face and, and things that I never thought I would face. And stuff like, how am I going to pack three pairs of shoes for this trip? Why do I own four pairs of shoes? What has happened to me? Two pairs of shoes was always enough for Ugmog in the past. Why am I now at four? This is a 100% increase in the number of shoes I have. Clearly that something is amiss. Great uncertainty. Also, just a little bit earlier today, I, I, I ran into another thing that made me question my place in the universe and what is happening in the world. I saw a Chevrolet that was a taxi cab. That's just not normal. Your typical taxi cab is like a Toyota or a Hyundai. But this was this was the, the Chevrolet Epica Lutenita. I'm pretty sure it's French, but I mean, these are periods of great turmoil and change in the world. With the economic situation being what it is, it is time for us all to consider where we really stand and what our place in the world really is, and to create roundtables talking about how to kill each other.
Well, uh, that's all we've got for player news right now. Uh, my inbox has been filled with people talking about roundtables rather than commenting on the podcast. And while it's always fun dealing with that kind of stuff, it doesn't lead to any material for discussing on the show itself. So, unfortunately, I've got nothing else to add there. I did go ahead and take a look at iTunes to see if there were any new comments or anything to talk about. There's nothing new since the last time we went and did that. Although it was interesting to see that Through the Palantir has a, a four and a half star average rating. So I, I feel kind of happy about that. Uh, thank you for doing that, all the people who have been rating the show on iTunes. I'm glad that you guys appreciate it for what it is and, and that you're getting entertainment out of it. Because in the end, that's what this ultimately is. This is entertainment with a slight educational slant. All right. I think that's enough for now. So before I leave, it's time to let you know how you can get in touch with me and the Through the Palantir team, consisting of me, myself, and I, and Ugmog. Well, if you want to get in touch with me, myself, and I, or Ugmog, you can send an email to throughthepalantir at gmail.com, and one of the four of us will be sure to check that email unless Deloren gets there first and deletes it before I see it. That hasn't happened yet, but it could. So, I wouldn't worry about it too much, but but just be prepared for that eventuality. If I have not replied to it, and you know, it's been more than two weeks, that means I'm probably not holding it back to talk about it on an episode, so you might want to resend it just in case that's what happened. Because you never know for sure. So it's good to be prepared. But d- don't expect that to be what happens. Most likely I will take care of it and get there. I can usually beat Drillor into the punch on those things. If, however, you don't trust email, especially in light of what I've just told you, uh, you could just go to our blog at www.throughthepalantir.blogspot.com and you could leave a comment on our blog, uh, on the episode, or on one of the other posts I make talking about why the episode has been delayed, or something like that. You can leave a comment and I will get back to you, and Drilloran, even if he replies to that beforehand, he can't just delete it, so I will still see it and I will take care of that, or send Ugmog to do that. And so I will be able to reply directly to your query there, and then other people will come, will come by and see what you said, and what I said, and what Drilloran may or may not have interjected, and hopefully benefit from that whole process somehow. Uh, I haven't really worked out that stage of the plan, and it's all just a little bit technical, but in the end, someone will profit. Anyway, if that still doesn't suit your fancy, then if you're on the blog, or even if you're not on the blog, you could find us on Twitter. I, if you're on the blog, you can just scroll down, and on the right-hand side in the bar there, there's the, the follow us on Twitter, and you can just click on that, and it'll take you, and it'll take you right to where we are on Twitter. But if you just want to go to Twitter itself and find us there, uh, you can just look for TT Palantir on the Twitter site or look for TT Palantir at twitter.com. And that will take you right there. And then you could follow us on Twitter and get announcements about when episodes come out and Reloren's love life. And Mathram's love life too, as it falls apart and stuff. Sometimes that happens. Those, these tweets sometimes find a way onto the TT Palantir feed. I am never responsible for those feeds, ever, absolutely. You can trust me. I never, ever, ever. But someone keeps putting them up there from time to time, usually once every four months or so. And, well, they're there if, if you're really that interested. But usually most people end up just getting announcements about episodes being up, and that's typically all that happens. Or there's one other place you could find us. You could find us on Facebook. Just look for Through the Palantir on Facebook, or you can follow the link from the blog. Uh, the Facebook page, uh, that, that does not get updated at all. 
ever. Uh, it's still talking about Episode 8 on the Facebook page. Uh, you can join the lively discussion on Episode 8 if you go to the Facebook page, or you could even request an update from Episode 8. And maybe if someone requests, I'll actually get around to updating. But so far, there's been no complaints, and people have really been enjoying talking about Episode 8. So I just don't have the heart to kill that kind of conversation and the, the intellectual feedback and growth that goes on as people debate all the intricacies of this one episode and really, really milk it for all that they can get out of there and digest all the knowledge and information and psychoanalysis that they've managed to wring out of that one episode. It's just not my place to end such a boon to, to human knowledge and advancement without someone else prompting me to. So yeah, you can still find us on Facebook and you can participate in that discussion to your heart's content. Okay, well that wraps it up for contact methods, I think. Um, no other ones spring to mind. Uh, the moose mail has not been updated recently, but so all those instructions are still perfectly valid. Uh, uh, if you really want to, to truly make an impression on me and, and the Thrilith Palantir team when you decide to contact us, and leave your message somewhere where it's very visible to the public, where everyone can benefit from the wisdom, insight, and depth that you have, with your question and our eventual response, you can take a laser and carve your message out in giant letters on the face of the moon so that someone with a pair of binoculars, say, could be able to legibly read your message. And then I would be able to look up at the moon, read your message, talk about it on the podcast, and then get my own laser or borrow yours and write a reply to it. And that would forever be up there as a testament to your perseverance in making sure that the sum of human knowledge is advanced and added to, and it would be there for generations to be able to look upon and to be awed and inspired by the insight and sagaciousness of your query and the response that came to it. And, well, I'm not going to suggest that you do that, but it would truly be something significant and unique that would be yours forever to lay claim to as the person who put a question on the moon and got their answer back and let everyone see it. Other than that, I would say that uh, we've covered the, all the contact methods now, so that makes the show. Alright, well it has been a fun time, and I certainly hope that everyone has enjoyed the roundtable. More of these are coming up, we got five more to go, so the next few months promise to be very very fun and very entertaining. But in the meantime, remember that you, and possibly the face of the moon by this point, have been incapacitated by a podcast. Goodbye.
how did I get through that without laughing until now? I don't even know. <laughs> oh, wow. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode. Whoa. Mess that one up. Alrighty, then. Let's try this again, shall we? Hello, everybody, and welcome to... <laughs> oh, I should have checked the day first. Okay. Uh, that one, those names don't ring a bell. Uh, Dirt, um, Loogie, Beelzebub, Auntie, Captain, the... Um, the plague used to be on Landerball. They and they transferred from Arkansas. Arkansas about two years ago, and we loved them. They were so much fun to fight. That was when I was playing Freepside. They were a lot of fun to fight because they'll give you a fight. They're not gonna. They're not keep huggers or anything, and yeah. uh, they don't care about flipping the map. They'd run all over and just looking for fights. And then they got tired of the Zerg glasses, and they tra they transferred to Rittermark. So we. Went over there one night and started started low level creeps while they were waiting for their transfer. I haven't been back since because I wanted mm -hmm. to get Toddy. I want to get Toddy to rank ten. She's just hit rank nine now. But um, you have fun over there with those guys. They're a lot of fun. Yeah, I've run with Dirts and Company a couple different times. I always had a blast with him. Yeah, I like those guys. They're funny. Yeah, and you can't miss Dirts. He's the rank twelve war leader. It mm -hmm. Or except for the part that's owned by Viacom. It, yeah, not feeling so happy about that. Uh, so then we look at the cap. Okay, accommodations will be capped at 10,000 points. And L players will start with zero. If you still have skills that haven't purchased the Destiny, go do so now. Spend your Destiny. Okay, pretty obvious suggestionary thing. Okay, well, actually, let me backtrack. I'm going to have to cut that. Okay, so then the next thing that we see is... As part of the change, refocusing. One of these days, Ivan, you are going to really blow something out of proportion in this whole section. This more happy juice. Mm, happy juice. More. All right. So everyone, good to go. All right, then I will go ahead and start recording, and then we will get this whole thing launched. Fortunately, that's not the only news that we have here. So while this whole section is, is going to be... So while this is... Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I, it's just... I, okay, th that's the big thing. I didn't even know he was there. I tracked before I came in, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, radar's fun. He's radar. He's not normal. And he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't even have the best gear. He doesn't have you know the highest yeah, gear no. they have. He just. Yeah, radar is. You don't measure other people by radar. Radar is measured by radar. <laughs> He doesn't need their highest gear because, in all honesty, Radar is the best runekeeper on the server, and 
it really doesn't matter uh, what he's carrying. He can f- outfight pretty much any other runekeeper you're ever going to run into on Landerval, at least. And because of that, he will kill basically anyone he runs into. Yeah, that's a big part of it. The other big part of it is just that mitigations have had so many oh. issues over the last couple of updates. I, I remember running into him in Groff, um, with my Reaver and trying to do something, and I couldn't even do like 2,000 damage to him or finish the charge before I was dead. I believe it was right before Rise of Isengard when the uh, that got fundamentally broken and the strong brood pit, uh, the damage output on that thing is still pathetic. Um, it it is. I think you just cut out there. Oh, fantastic! Fantastic! <laughs> oh joy! What happened? Okay. Uh, Skype's saying there's a problem with the call. They're trying to get it back online, so just lost Baccarat. Okay. So we'll have to have him pick up from White Lady. That was where he was at. Hey, back. Oh, can you okay. hear me? Yeah. We lost you there for a second there. I I had you right up to saying White Lady, and you'd spelled it. So I just finished off from there. And which, 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 which white lady? The the white the ghost or white the color? Color. <laughs> okay, so we got we covered both. Yeah. So um yeah did I did I cover all the basic things the intro stuff? Uh pretty much yeah, and I'll fix it all up in post edit so it won't sound okay. disjointed. So that's the great thing about handling post edit is we can have fun here and I fix it all later. But honestly, I think that the biggest problem that I and many other people have with this entire commendations system that's coming in is that it breaks one of the fundamental rules of managing anything which is if it ain't broke don't fix ah sarner ah finally remembered it it was sarner ah more happy juice i told you this was gonna be a fun episode didn't i i told you Ahem. you know what You've traded the improved efflorescence. I wonder if there's any induction reduction with the improved trait. Um, let me look. Because that might explain why it doesn't seem as long for you. I'm going to cut this section out. I just had to say it, though. No, it, do- it just says it, re- it said it increases the range and reduces the power cost. It doesn't say it changes the induction time. I'm going to have to log okay. in and check and see. See, Because a lot yeah. of times things things will not be... Um, things will do things other than what they say they do. They'll, like, have additional things, I've noticed. Um, so I'm going to go check since I have it traded already. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then sometimes they'll update it later on and actually add the all of the effects onto the description there. Uh, this is a fantastic change. Uh, monster players, in all honesty, have needed... Which is a snack, a stacking up bot... The monster play community is not a little rabid from time to time. They are mostly, they are incredibly rabid. Uh, for <laughs> the, the monster play community is okay. <laughs> Happy juice is coming back. <sighs> Happy juice. And I just gotta say, Grope is a fantastic war leader name. That's just... <laughs> mm-hmm. He's got a war that he calls Gripe. 
So, you know, he keeps the theme going between the classes. Oh, very nice. Okay, well, we're almost done. We'll all go back in game and kill people later. All right. Boots of Courage being very sarcastically applied to Guardians and Champions. <coughs> and we're, and, and the, and the, is apparent, is obvious, and a, is... Uh, I think slick, slick fat, sick, slick flesh. We, we, the, the monster play community and the players there, uh, are very, very passionate and have many opinions, which they express very forcefully and with a lot of emotion. And that, that is what they do. That is why forum PvP is oftentimes better than in-game PvP, is because the people are very, very passionate and invested, and yeah. We'll see how much that gets past post-edit. <laughs> well, I told you I listened to your last one. It was funny. About Christmas with your brothers. Oh, oh no. Not that one. <laughs> what did they do with their little ponies? Um, well, let's see. Mathroom left his here. I have to send that to him. Hopefully, I'll, I'll figure out a way to get it mailed to him so that he'll be able to open it up in a compromising position or, or his roommates will see it or something. Got to keep maximizing it. My other brother, he took his with him, so I don't know what he's done with it. <laughs> you still have your Barbie? No, no, no. That thing <laughs> died years ago. It lasted one night, and then it was melted. Oh! Well, you got to understand, I was in Papua New Guinea. Strange things happen in PNG. Okay. We made potato guns out of PVC. That could shoot a long way. Oh, okay. Well, as I say, you could have saved it and given it back to him. <laughs> you know, I, nah, I still wouldn't have done that. It, that thing wasn't worth anything. Wow. It was worth a good story, and that was about it. Uh huh. Uh huh. That doesn't mean that there's room for that. There's not room for improvements, even though. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, background. Have you got? Okay, fanatic. So, I. I... <laughs> Okay, Go someone. Ahead, <laughs> 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 